Welcome. Welcome. The curtains are drawing. We're in a big amphitheater, as you'd assume. Yep. But because... It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. <laughs> um, it's time to get things started on the 2020 inaugural Shite and Sound Sight and Fuck. Shite and Showdown for the Crown 2019. Deep cut. Fuck off. 2019. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just trying to keep saying so many words. Um, but because of uh, it's 2020 and um, most countries in the world find themselves unable to consider themselves as collectives, so unable to deal with COVID, out of sympathy with the world, we're doing this socially distant. So in this 5,000 seat venue, the, the Civic Theatre, um, it's just us yep. uh, in the audience, the, the people who voted for these awards, and we're looking out onto a stage. That that is. Oh, sorry, uh, okay, so we're not on stage. <laughs> no, we're, we're, no, no. We're presenting this from the audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Do you think you know? It's uh, the. Where do you think the foreign the foreign press aren't on stage at the we, Golden Globes? So we should start with our host. Let's say it together. One, One two, two, three. Paddington. Oh, Paddington. <laughs> okay. Is it CG Paddington, or have we got a real child bear like chained to a post? No, this is CG Paddington. This, 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 okay. this, this yeah. like that time that Seth MacFarlane hosted the Oscars and they had Ted present an award. Did that happen? Yeah. This is in, this is in the Ted year. Oh, the Ted. Yeah. All oh, right. Say so, not Ted two. No. Which... This is the same year that Steve MacFarlane did the "I Saw Your Boobs" song. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah. He started with it. Well, he he opened with William Shatner telling him not to do the I Saw Your Boobs song from the future, and then he did the I Saw Your Boobs song. The one bit of that I don't believe is William Shatner telling him not to objectify <laughs> women. So um, Pennington comes out on stage. Is he in a little tux? Yes, he is. Oh, yeah. But, but he's, he's still got the hat. Of course, he's got the fucking hat. But he lifts up the hat, and there's the sandwich, of course. <laughs> but on top of that, has got a speech because <laughs> we can't afford teleprompters. <laughs> we put it all into the Civic and he says, welcome to the first annual Shite and Sound, <laughs> Shite and Showdown for the Crown 2020 deep cut and the, the fantabulous emancipation of, of our list of best movies for the year. <laughs> yeah. And says, well, this opening spot, we've got marked down just generally as misc. Um <laughs> Uh, oh, that's right. I know what I want to talk about here. I want, and uh, Paddington's a good choice for this. It's best animated. Did you see any animated films this year? Uh, the the only one I saw this year was Onward, and that's at like number thirty seven on my list. Yeah, uh, there, there was a new John Hurtsfeld movie which I've been meaning to see called World of Tomorrow Part Three, but I just never got around to it. But I've heard it's fantastic. Yeah, I uh, I have not I, I've not seen that. I, I I just wanted to take a moment, basically, because none of them got onto the longer list. Uh, some very closer. My nominees are the Spark Shorts on Disney Plus, which are the the Pixar. You know how Pixar has shorts at the right, beginning yeah. run by smaller teams within the company. Yeah. Now they've got a bunch of ones made just for Disney Plus up there, which are uh, the best exclusive content on Disney Plus by oh, okay. by, by a wide I margin. I, I think I, I saw one of those. Is Lamp Life one of those shorts? Uh, Lamp Life is one of those. Yeah, I, I saw that. I, I did, didn't like Lamp Life. Oh. I, I think it looks incredible, but this story, it, story, yeah, yeah. But, like it looks fucking amazing. Out 
Kit, Bull, and Loop are, are my three golden children. Right. They all look like Pixar is in a very interesting place right now um, because clearly they've driven a lot of visual innovation. Um, and so their films look incredibly beautiful right now. But to me, it, it very much seems like the shorts are, are where like narratively interesting things happen, which, which right. bring me to two more nominees, which are, of course, Onward and Soul. Onward, which is a film I was thoroughly charmed by while watching, and, and I think Chris Pratt and Tom Holland are a great duo of leads for yeah. a voice cast. Um, but I could not tell you the plot of it, and, and that's a real problem. And Soul is uh, visually the best-looking film released this year no. by quite a wide margin. You see it for the look alone, and unfortunately, I'm happy that now that Pixar have deigned to have a black protagonist, that film really engages with, with African-American culture mm. and in society, but uh, the plot is just the same plot of every Pixar film. And the first half hour is them explaining the rules of how the afterlife works in a way that is very similar to everyone's favorite part of playing a board game, reading the rules. <laughs> um, but uh, Paddington says <laughs> uh, this year's winner is, of course, Farmageddon, a Shaun the Sheep movie. <laughs> Rewind it. Stay focused. No more being silly. Sean, I really mean it. I hope that means yes, not nah. Look at you all grown up. Lit, lit, lit. Are you glowed up? I love that film. It's pure cinema, almost no dialogue. And I I just I want more films where an alien arrives on Earth, <laughs> interacts with some pretty wacky sheep, and then ends up uh firing rockets. <laughs> at a illegal theme park <laughs> uh i just highly recommend it out there and it, it's like 70 minutes long it's good fun yeah. um and a, a sub recommendation within that is also uh the original sean the sheep movie so uh you got anything for for misc my miscellaneous category is best scott adkins film of the five films he released this year i've seen three of them yeah obviously at number three we have max cloud or the intergalactic adventures of max cloud yeah uh, which is about some kids who like play a video game and like inside a video game scott adkins is like a thing they want to get sucked into a video game or whatever uh most mostly kind of boring but uh scott adkins gets to do like jokes and stuff in it and he's he's pretty funny when well, he like gets... what kind of jokes he's playing a video game character and he's this very kind of like uh, oh, over top right. so like macho guy and he's he's like doing he's like playing off with that which is which is fun and he also has this monologue about uh how he always wanted to be a pastry chef but then his dad made him go to space pilot school <laughs> which is uh pretty fucking which is pretty fucking incredible well it's also called john hannah is the bad guy no sweet ass yeah from the mummy and the mummy returns from, from charlie brooker's a touch of cloth <laughs> all right of course yeah it's sort of fine overall, but like Scott Atkins is, is very good in it. At number two for best Scott Atkins film of the year, we have Seized, directed by Isaac Florentine, who directs a lot of Scott Atkins films. The stars Scott Atkins and Mario Van Peebles, the son of Melvin Van Peebles. And let me tell you, Mario Van Peebles is having an incredible time in this movie. He he gets to play a uh, uh, he gets to play a Mexican cartel boss, and he is 
Oh, he's loving it. This is not one of Adkins and Florentine's best films. Obviously, like, a very, very low budget. There's a scene where, like, uh, Scott Adkins is forced to, like, his, his son's been kidnapped and he's got to, like, do some stuff for this cartel boss to get his son back. And we're supposed to feel like he's been put in this, this very kind of, like, morally questionable position throughout the whole movie where he's forced to do these bad things. But, like, the first scene is he's told to go into a restaurant where two cartels are having, like, a, a, a peace meeting. Yeah. And he's told to go in there and kill everyone in the restaurant. And you're like, oh, wow, like, there are going to be all these innocent bystanders. How, like, how, how am I going to deal with the, 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 like, him having to murder his people and, those, like, and all this potential collateral damage? Then you go inside a restaurant and there's 12 people in there and they're all the bad guys. And you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this movie cannot afford extras. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, so that's fun. Obviously, the best Scott Adkins movie of the year is The Debt Collectors. What is this? It's called a car, mate. No, it's a wheelchair with a roof, Frenchie. It's clean, it's quiet, and it doesn't smell like your ass on the inside. All right. Uh, directed by Jesse V. Johnson. This is a sequel to uh, 2018's The Debt Collector. <laughs> yeah. This movie, uh, there's no reason it should exist. Both the characters clearly die at the end of the first movie. Yeah. Uh, and I sp- and when they're both alive at, at the beginning of this movie, I was like, oh, they're like in they're like in purgatory or something. <laughs> and I was waiting for the whole movie for them to reveal that they're in purgatory. But no, they're just sort of alive again, and it's fine. Uh, but it's super fucking fun. It's Scott Atkins and a guy called Louis, uh, uh, a guy called Louis Mandalore, mm-hmm. uh, who's not a not an amazing actor, but he's no. like he's 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 solid <laughs> in these movies. And uh, it's just like super, super fun fights, uh, except the final uh, shootout is uh, uh, terrible garbage. Mm-hmm. Just like, obviously, they didn't have a budget for it, and shootouts always look bad in these movies. Just yeah. let Scott Adkins uh, kick and punch dudes. That's yeah. what he's amazing at. And, uh, uh, of course, Adkins is coming to the stage to accept his award. Oh, Paddington is throwing it towards him, and boom, he's got it. He's punched <laughs> it. Oh, thanks for coming, Scott. Now he does have to leave because we are, again, the only people in this room. And now, for our first kind of formal award, which is worst film this is the shite and sound showdown <laughs> so we, we do have to talk about bad movies we're gonna get the negativity out of the way pretty quickly <laughs> yeah two awards are given out one from me youth the shite yeah. and one from you then sound nicholas that's right uh and so of course our previous winners for last year's worst film uh, uh come out so yep that's right on the stage can you believe can't i can believe we got them but yeah that's right it is joaquin phoenix coming out to announce my nominees for the worst film of this year he is still indeed dressed as the joker and it's now just a bit more sad than it was even then he squirts his little (laughs) the flower on his lapel and uh, the water spells out the words the social dilemma uh, uh, which is a documentary about how uh, people look at phone too much and if website free you are product things i genuinely thought everyone in the world knew um but if the documentary just existed to express those things it it would not be a worse film the thing that puts on this list is uh, it's dramatized segments um which contain the most dysfunctional family ever and of course the sequence in which pete campbell from mad men vincent carfizer yeah from 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 angel Angel, and and, and something else something else very odd right um uh plays uh uh kind of the three different minds within social media right being like oh now we'll give him an ad now and it is just genuinely probably the most teeth gritting like 
I, I, I find myself quite immune to f- cringe. Right. And I am surprised I still have a face <laughs> after the social dilemma. But, um, and number two on the list uh, is Bad Boys for Life, mm. the third Bad Boys film. Enough said. Uh, I, I want to give it the reason it's, uh, it doesn't kick ass. Uh, no. That's and the problem. I, I'll, I'll also talk about Bad Boys for Life in a bit. Yeah. We can chat about it together. And of course, my winner. What other winner can there be? And it is a winner in the worst film category. Cats! <laughs> oh, well, I never was there ever a cat so clever as magical Mr. Mustafa's. Oh, Tom Hooper running to the oh, stage, all Tom covered Fee. in cybernetic CGI cat fur cat fur technology and he's never looked happier to win an award man uh, i presume cats is on your list as well uh no because cats is a 2019 film for me i saw it on boxing day last year okay uh and, and also uh, it's not it wouldn't be on my worst film list uh, because i just bought a blu-ray copy of cats like last week yeah but okay but that you can still hate films and own them Nah. But it is like it. It it's okay. Worst is possibly uh, 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 the wrong category yeah, so for like, it. Uh, after after I first saw Cats, yeah. I, I had it like really low on my like like worst films of of 2019. And then after seeing it a second time, I was like, no, I I I cannot in good conscience put this in my like bottom ten movies of of 2019. Like this is. This is so much fucking fun. And there is nothing in the film that is bad enough that it negates the pure fucking joy of Skimbleshanks for Railway Cat. I, I love that scene so fucking much. And that's the only scene in the movie that I think like works on just like an actual level of non-ironic enjoyment. But it is, I, I don't know, I think, I think it's so fucking good. But also there's a scene where Rebel Wilson pulls off her fur oh, to yeah. reveal more fur underneath. While around her, cats are using um, uh, uh, forks and knives to groom themselves. And then we cut to a reaction shot of other cats in the kitchen showing that they are as tall as the sink, which means that the cutlery would be tiny in their hands. Yes. Uh, but 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 also I love body horror. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it it, it it's truly like, two, 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 two things I love are body horror and musicals, and so Cats kind of does it all for me. I did not have a better time uh, in a cinema as as a collective group of people than seeing Cats, yeah. and just like that first moment, and it was the first time you see a cat jump in the opening musical number, and it just weirdly <laughs> floats and becomes pixels. Yeah. Um, uh, and everyone started laughing and applauding and being like, oh no, it is, it is exactly what you think it is. Yeah. The second time I saw Cats, it was in a theater that had been booked out entirely for comedians. <laughs> and so it was me, it was me and like, it was me, me and like 70 or 80 other comics just in the theater watching Cats. It was one, like one of the best communal movie watching experiences of my life. Yeah. I, and I, I, I'm sure like, yee yee, I will watch it again throughout my life. <laughs> like the before trilogy, just discovering new parts of myself when I look into Cats. And now, of course, Joaquin has walked off the stage and oh, he slipped on a banana. He is a real joker. So now my worst picture winner from 2019 is coming out to the stage and, uh, yeah. You know, it, it looks like a white man, but he, he, 
he has the voice of a black woman. It's <laughs> it's Jeremy Savile and Loquisha, uh, the worst performance of all time. Oh, wow. Um, he's dodging <laughs> the rotten fruit being thrown at him by the he's audience. he's not dodging it well enough. Someone just got him. Well, I, well yeah, one of us. Let's remember, uh, we are alone in this yep. room. Uh, it's like Statler and Waldorf have all the other Muppets died. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and like, yeah. Is, that the ca- is that the tagline for this podcast? <laughs> Because I feel like being meaner than you, uh, I'm g- I'm doing my top ten uh, worst worst films of the year. Okay. At number ten, we have This Town, a New Zealand romantic comedy, just not funny enough. Written, uh, directed by, and starring a guy called David White, who I'm sure is a very nice guy. It's nice that he was able to get this movie funded, uh, but like, just get 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 someone else to uh, to uh, write and direct your movies, mate. It does co-star Alice May Connolly, who's uh, very charming and funny throughout the whole thing. Uh, she she's a delight. At uh, number nine, we have The Gentleman, which would be on Youth's list, but he did not finish it because he walked out of a cinema. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was an incredible feeling. It's, it's well, a terrible it was, fucking it was, movie. It was halfway through, I was like, I am getting no joy out of this. And then the thought just, I was like, you could just leave. <laughs> and I did. It was beautiful. Yeah. This was my like first experience with like a Guy Ritchie gangster movie. Oh. All the other yeah. movies of his I've seen were like his Sherlock movies or yeah. The Man from Uncle. Well, and, which, and, are, which and, are all like fun. And Snatch, which is more of a building's romance, <laughs> if you think about it. Terrible performances all around from from McConaughey, from Charlie Hunnam. Uh, I, I know I know you have a soft spot for, uh, for, for for Hugh Grant. I I really didn't like him in it. Oh, I, uh, I, 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 have, I have a very specific soft spot, right. which is that that performance is it, good. It, it's, it's, it's canon in Cyber Pankton 2 universe. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, it yeah. is. It, it's not good in a traditional sense. Yes. No. Uh, this, this is probably the most racist movie of the year. Like, it, it's... I don't know if you got all the, like, weird stuff where, where there's, like, all, all the, 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 like, Chinese uh, gangsters I and... started hitting that stuff yeah, yeah. when I just decided the, the, to the, leave. The last, like, half of that movie is, is, is all just, like... It's all just like Guy Ritchie, like hard man archetypes going, oh, ching chong, ching chong. And you're like, no, yeah. just just don't. This is There's no there's no reason for this to be in a movie. But there's one performance I really like, which I'll get to later. Uh, number eight, uh, Dead. Uh, directed, by, uh, directed by, written by, and starring uh, uh, Hayden J. Wheel. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and co-starring uh, Tom Sainsbury. And uh, co-written by. Uh, another New Zealand comedy. Uh, this one is a horror comedy. Not enough jokes. Uh, I think I, 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 I laughed at one joke in the entire hour and a half. Weirdly home for, for, for a film like co-written by and co-starring a, a gay man. Uh, and also uh, the like final twist of the end is just uh, get out, but for gay men and it doesn't work at all. I liked Dead more than you did, mm. but I do think that it is pointless because there are several, because Spiral is also Get Out, but for gay men. Right. It's kind of pointless for people to attempt to try and make Get Out for gay people because that already exists. It is that <laughs> Tom Holland dancing to Umbrella um, lip sync that everyone likes. That is Get Out, but for queer people. Uh, number seven is Capone, directed by Josh Trank, starring mm-hmm. uh, Tom Hardy. Uh, this is the first Josh Trank film I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, th- th- this is probably my, my biggest disappointment of the year. Like, because I hadn't seen his other films, I was yeah. like, oh, maybe he's misunderstood. Maybe well, this and, will actually be good. And some of the early buzz around this film was being like, no, look, what, what Trank needs is restrictions yeah. in working with someone like Hardy. Yes. And it turned out to be kind of the exact wrong thing. Because this is uh, the first bad performance I've ever seen from Tom Hardy. I think like he 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 is doing so much in this movie, but it, it it's like a it's like a Joaquin Phoenix Joker performance, where there's like he is throwing so much fucking shit at the screen, and none of it sticks because there is not like a coherent directorial vision like holding it together. 
And like, I, I, I love Tom Hardy so fucking much. He's one of my favorite actors. Yeah. But like, I don't know, this, this movie just just feels inco- i was gonna say incoherent which feels like maybe it's supposed to feel that way because it's about a man going insane from syphilis yeah but like i don't know it, it d- didn't just didn't it just didn't work but for me. there are again I, I wouldn't have put it on my bottom 10 hmm. uh, I, 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 I will not mention it elsewhere yeah. in this episode though yeah. is, is also my review and the thing i kept thinking about uh while watching capone is her smell which is uh the elizabeth moss film yeah. um the electros perry yeah. Um, uh, Elizabeth and Elizabeth, starring Elizabeth Moss, um, uh, essentially about uh, an addict ruining uh, the band she's in, which is told over these kind of very deliberately elliptical and spaced out. Um, uh, it's five scenes, maybe right. six, doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, uh, and it, it, by trusting the actors and the structure to uh to gift the audience connecting the dots between these moments of success and failure it's like her smell is doing exactly what capone is failing at doing right. uh, and, and i kind of just wish they had made his smell but with with instead of it being about a band it being about capone yeah so number six we have uh, uh, uh we have robert zemeckis's the witches uh i've not seen uh, yeah which i, I only saw because i had like a gift card to to event cinemas which was expiring the day before christmas yeah. and so i went and saw it uh just like not not funny not scary at any point uh it's the the entire thing has like weird narration from chris rock and uh the the only enjoyable part of the movie to me was imagining editing his his uh, uh his narration into episodes of everybody hates chris <laughs> Uh, number five, Spencer Confidential, starring Mark Wahlberg, directed by Peter Berg. Peter Berg is maybe my least favorite, uh, uh, like, major filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, I think Mile 22 is among the worst movies I've ever seen, and Mark Wahlberg is my least favorite actor, and I only watched this movie because I knew I would hate it. Yeah. Uh, not good. Uh, Bad Boys for Life at number four. Uh, so this is my first Bad Boys movie. Um, wh- okay, so my, my, my two things about this movie that I hated above everything else is uh, this does one of my least favorite things a movie can do, which is have a character make an ethical commitment to nonviolence and then uh, have them break that commitment and then and then be like, see, isn't violence awesome? Yeah. There are movies that do that in a way that I don't hate, like a lot of old westerns do it, like the Jimmy Stewart western, Destry Rides Again, yeah. is about a man who makes a commitment to nonviolence and then has to break that. And also Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven does that, and, and both those movies do it in a much smarter way. Mm. Whereas this movie has two separate characters who have both, like, had bad experiences with like with violence in the past, making a commitment to nonviolence, and by the end of the film, they are both mowing down dudes with automatic shotguns and fucking laughing and loving it. Well, and, and, and I think that's despicable. Uh, I I think the 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 telling things about Bad Boys for Life are um are. It gets to a point, and my experience about half an hour into it was being like, man, I really miss Michael Bay. <laughs> and then Michael Bay shows up in a cameo, and I'm like, oh, that's right, I don't miss Michael yeah. Bay. It's the fact that the interesting thing, because Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2 are um, politically vile yeah. films that are also defining texts of action cinema. And rewatching the first Bad Boys originally, you're like, wait a minute. Is the whole thing about um uh, is the whole thing about Bayhem about about this action aesthetic, this this dominance of visuals over continuity or spatial awareness, 
I kind of think it was partly invented to cut around the fact that Martin Lawrence is bad at being in an action film. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Bad Boys 2 ups that. And then Bad Boys for Life is just like when you've got. Like he, he's like, this is, I think, the first Martin Lawrence film I've seen all the way through. Yeah. Like he's just kind of terrible in every scene, I yeah. think. Um, uh, and, and like you're in a weird place when DJ Khaled is doing one of the better performances <laughs> in the film. Yeah. But like most damningly, it has the plot of Gemini Man, and we've seen Gemini Man, and Gemini Man is just better. Yeah. And the the, the like one other thing, uh, which is I think the thing that I find the most uh, fucking evil about Bad Boys for Life, is the villain of the movie is a woman who throughout the film is referred to as La Bruja or the Witch. Yeah. And then they defeat the witch by kicking her into a fire at the <laughs> end. Like uh... the fucking the like the day is saved by the heroes burning a burning a witch to death. It's like just nah. I I I, ha- I hate the iconography of that so much. Uh, number three, Doolittle, uh, just hilariously <laughs> terrible in every way. Uh, there's there's a scene where uh, where Robert Downey Jr. pulls a suit of armor out of a dragon's ass and it farts in his face for twenty seconds. Yeah, uh, he's that was doing... his idea, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. That, that's all I know about Doolittle is that that bit was his idea. Yeah. And uh, number two, Artemis Fowl, uh, which is a complete uh, fucking massacre of one of my favorite uh, book series as a kid. It would also uh, be on my list yeah. if I had finished watching it. Uh, lazy, cheap, insulting. Uh, one of the worst child performances I've ever seen. Uh, has uh, just like doesn't get those books in any way uh, j- j- uh, oh it's also got Josh Gad doing the fucking narration which is a diff, diff mark against any movie but I think of, uh, of of the major films that seem very reshot or re-edited that is the one that is the most like I, I would not be surprised if when we get a, a thing about like, oh, like the thing about Artemis Fowl is they shot everything in that film twice and <laughs> yeah. it's all just cut back together in a really bizarre way. And the only other film that I think comes close to competing with that is is Wonder Woman 2, right. which uh, it, like hang, it hangs together, but there's just this real sense of like, especially in how it builds towards its climax, you're like, it feels like there are 20 minute, like, it feels like there are whole incidents and events just removed from that yeah. film. Anyway. And uh, then my, 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 my number one, my, uh, my winner for worst picture of the year is 365 days. I want to get out now. Afraid this is impossible. You have 365 days. Uh, which is uh, 50 Shades of Grey for people who think that 50 Shades of Grey has too much consent. Uh, it, it's it's a, it's a movie about a uh, about a Polish woman who's on holiday in Italy, and she's ca- uh, she's kidnapped by a mafia boss, and he's like, "I'm going to give you 365 days to fall in love with me," and then you know what? she just does in like two weeks, and it's a it, like, Wait, it, so that it doesn't even like she doesn't even fall in love with him on the 365th no, day. No, okay, it, it, it does not get that far. Whoa! So like, there's one element I'm going to talk about a bit later, uh, which I think is just like awful. Acting is terrible. The script is awful. It uses these like terrible fucking pop songs every 30 seconds uh, and it has the worst ending i've ever seen to a movie just just like the an ending that is so disgusting and hateful uh but uh 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 but it just makes me angry to think about who's coming up to accept that award uh one of the stars of 365 days ah and they're doing a long quite heartfelt speech in polish they've left the stage you've just got paddington alone he says it's time how we are deciding the best film of the year because there can only be one and everything else is a loser absolutely Um, finn and myself both compiled our top 20 lists for the year which at least mine is available on on letterboxd and i want to put the asterisks that we push nomadland to next year or else 
Well, I'd be talking about this yeah. No Man Land. Uh, uh, check it out because Finn was not able to see it. And technically, it comes out next year, blah, blah, blah. And from that, we have built a bracket of 16 films, a knockout bracket. And the first round is thus. Heat number one, Small Axe versus White Riot. Small Axe, which is five films, let's be honest. But if we treated it as five separate films, we would be talking about it five times more than I think we're about to talk about it a lot. Steve McQueen's decalogue (laughs) of black experience, Afro-Caribbean specific, in England in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and of course, White Riot, which is a film directed by Rubika Shah. It's a documentary about the Rock Against Racism movement, the incredibly important confluence of punk rock and reggae in the late 70s that, uh, that, was, kind of, uh, that, that, that was developed to, to, to fight against the growing far right in the UK at the time. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting film because it, it, it's very much one of those documentaries where uh, me agreeing with it pushes it over a lot of lines in a lot of ways, mm. I think. I, which is not to say it's a bad documentary, but it is partially funded by TV and partially funded for, for cinema release, which is also true of small acts. Yeah. And so it is, it, it's talking heads with kind of uh, wacky punk footage, a lot of close-ups of zines. Yeah, and the, 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 and I think the thing that puts White Riot over for me is like, I just, I love, I love that fucking music so much. I love yeah. all those bands. I love that time period. And I just, I love learning about the history of like left-wing activism. And apart from the like history stuff, which is great, you also just see all this like incredible performance footage of of the clash of a Tom Robinson band and Steel Pulse and all these great these great reggae yeah. bands of a time and I don't know it, it's 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 so much fun and I think it it does a really good job at like demonstrating the like the antidote to fascism it's not hopelessness it's not despair it is it's creativity it's organizing and it's occasional bouts of extreme violence yeah <laughs> and that, that's how you beat fascism well and, and I th- like I think the the part of Small Axe Small Axe if you, if you don't know is five feature-ish length one is two hours uh three of them are just over an hour and yeah. one is 90 80 minutes so, something like that, yeah. the one i would compare it the most to is lovers rock um which yeah, is yeah. essentially uh, an hour at a party both of them have this unswerving and beautiful trust that you can just play music to an audience and that they'll be like oh yeah i get it i get that this is why well, this is how we fight things is just by having kind of a good time together yeah. to be in like every single small axe film there is at least like one moment of musical performance which is just kind of like like transcendent yeah in in, in the final part of education it's transcendent because it's the funniest scene of the year yeah but like in, in all the <laughs> other ones it is these like amazing moments of of marginalized communities coming together yeah. and like finding a space away from all the fucking garbage and hate that's put on them and just being able to like be free and be themselves and and such a fucking beautiful way and set to incredible music well there's there's a scene in lovers rock just uh, uh uh set, set, set to kung fu fighting which yeah. is so fu- so fucking good but it, it and it is it is like the juxtaposition is that you hear you get quite a lot i presume it is almost all the extant footage of of white riot being played at the rock against racism rally mm. um and and it, and it just kind of draws on and you just realize just like yes this 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 uh radical openness and joy is, is what can save us and that in Lovers Rock, you also you have a sequence in where there where just a room full of people is dancing and singing along to silly games. Yeah, that whole thing is just like a one shot 
and for, for then, like the entire like three minutes and then the music drops out and they keep singing yeah. along and oh man it, yeah like that, that, that is you. just just like one of the best scenes of a year is is that is that oh, silly I, games I, 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 I would call it the best scene of the year it, um it's, absolutely not going to describe you it's incredible and, and, and like the only thing i i think in this battle which we might hit a couple of times the, the issue here is um i, I want to back small axe against white right and that's not because i don't think white right is good it's that i think uh small axe hits rare heights yeah, uh, no, of like, cinema yeah so for me like small Axe isn't my favorite thing that's been made by, by steve mcqueen who's like one of my favorite filmmakers yeah. and I think for, for 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 me, none of those films, apart from Lovers Rock, quite hit the heights of of his 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 very best films. But I, I think they are all like every single one of those films is like an eight out of ten at the worst. Like they're maybe like one of them is like a like a high seven. But they're all they're they're all so like consistently really really fucking good. And yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go for you and say small small axes for. Is the is the better of the two? Uh, yeah, but White Riot what? Uh, yeah. is available for paid streaming through a, a couple of online services that you, you have to go pretty deep for. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, like if you have any interest in in the like history of punk rock or left wing and anti fascist activism, it's a really fucking good and enjoyable documentary. Yeah, uh, and, and it's eight great minutes. Uh, it's eighty minutes, yeah. uh, which is always which is always the best. Yes, um, part of it. But check it out. I was surprised it got covered. We weren't superheroes, we were just ordinary people. We were ordinary anti-racist citizens. And so now Paddington's back out to discuss The Undercard, which is the films that were on our lists but did not make the bracket. The number 17 on our list, um, uh, which was just me, is is Farmageddon, a Shaun the Sheep movie, uh, just uh, a symphony of silent cinema. I I highly recommend everyone check it out. I've I've not not quite got gotten around to yet but i i will absolutely watch them in the next few days i won't like I, yeah I, i'm sure yeah. i'm not gonna like as much as you do yeah but like i'm i'm I'm, go- I'm gonna have a good time with yeah it. yeah no it, yeah. it's charming and good fun number 18 the highest ranked uh also ran that we both voted for uh is david copperfield yeah. amanda ianucci's uh adaptation of the dickens novel which i think uh, uh, i uh, to repeat a tweet i think it is the rare film that is exactly as charming as it thinks it is it's lovely i saw i saw it twice this year and both times i was like every bit every moment of that film is good and nice yeah it's it, it's it's very fun it's very charming like Dev Dev patel is obviously really fucking good in it yeah i and i hope we well one of us will be talking about him a bit more later but like for me like it's not not my favorite of armando nucci's movies like i know that you prefer it to death of stalin yeah i think there's just a difference in our temperaments is you want stuff that's nice and i want stuff that's incredibly cynical and about how everyone is kind of a fucking monster which is I, what, what i like about death of stalin but like the thing that would push death of stalin above copperfield for me in that uh, in that ranking is if he had had the idea of colorblind casting right, yeah then he did do accent blind casting <laughs> but but yeah so yeah. it's like push it a bit further yeah no, I, think, like, I think that's fair tied at number 19 one from each of us from you it's john hyams alone yeah and from me it is emma 
but you talk about alone while I look up who directed Emma. That was Autumn DeWild. No, no, no. Oh. This is a thing we should address now. There are two Emmas on this list. Oh, oh one. Oh. Uh, the other one was Pablo Lorraine. Yeah, which uh, is a, uh, a film I saw in the film festival this year uh, and is a kind of about a, a dancer struggling with family life and dance life. And the plot is kind of almost exactly what you expect. There's a great minor turn from um, minor turn supporting turn from Gael Garcia Bernal as her her partner and the head of the dance company. And uh, Mariana de Lode, Mariana de Guillermo uh, uh, as Emma, the lead, uh, is an incredible dancer and an incredible performance. She's just outside of my best actress list, so I want to chat her out now. But also, like, every five or ten minutes or so, there's just a sweet-ass set of pictures of, like, her dancing with a flamethrower and setting <laughs> fire to cars. And there, there's a real primal energy to this film that I think if you have the chance to say it, it's not flawless, but I think it's very strong. And, and tell me about Alone, uh, which I did not manage to see. So Alone is from, from John Hyams, who listeners of the podcast will know from Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is a very different sort of film from, from Universal Soldier. It is very bare bones. It is very non-heightened. It is just like a incredibly like straightforward, no twists, stripped down thriller. And it's basically two actors in the whole thing. It stars Jules Wilcox, who had like a bit part in Under the Silver Lake last year and had another bit part in On the Rocks this year. And then is the, 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 the lead of this movie. She is a recently widowed woman who is moving uh, to a different city to get away from her overbearing parents. And uh, uh, her overbearance, please. Yep. And, and, and while she's on the road, she begins to believe that a man is following her. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, this this guy uh, played by an actor called Mark Menchaka, who is doing some great uh, creepy mustache acting in this. Solid villain stuff. There are title cards throughout the film. Based like levels. The first one is the road. Then there is the river. Then there is the rain. Then there is the clearing. I mean, there's like four different kind of like confrontations between uh, between the two of them. And Anthony Held from Science of the Lamb shows up for yep. for like three scenes in Boston Public. <laughs> And yeah, you know, it's just fucking like really good, really good like low, low budget thriller filmmaking. Yeah. And I, I, I wish that Himes would get like, would get more opportunities to to keep making stuff because he's such a he's such a fucking brilliant director, and it's fun. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, next on the list is uh, Little Joe, the Jessica Hausner film, who made uh, Amor Fu is my favorite of her okay. other films, and, and which is about a uh, plant people who breed plants making a plant that you have to love (laughs) with horrific consequences and it's this kind of weird muted psycho terror that accumulates and accumulates in a way i found really quite just uh disquieting and strong And, and um emily beecham is the lead and and she kills it. Ben Whishaw, Kerry Fox, and Lindsay Duncan also turn up. And if you want to have a slightly unfun time, but while watching people panic a bit, I highly recommend you check it out. And next is Borat 2, Borat subsequent movie film, where which fails as a comedy, and I think that's its success. I think the, the very pitch of that film is we're going to make the same film again, but this time uh, it's not about the mask of America slipping off. The mask is off. And we're all just realizing just how horrific it all is. And it it actually is a victory. And like, it is a film 
where like the most chilling moment is they managed to get like Trump supporters doing Nazi salutes on camera and it, and it just, uh, it, it kills you dead. Um, and, and tied for last place, a uh, one point each, one from you, one from me, both with animals, you with black bear, me with horse girl. So right, yeah. Black Bear is a, a, it's the Aubrey Plaza film. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, I have not seen it. So it, it, it's it's written and directed by a guy called Lawrence Michael Levine, who kind of mm. came out of the the like mumblecore uh, scene. Yeah. He uh, he he usually makes movies with uh, with I believe his wife, who is a woman called Sophia Takal, who made the the Black Christmas remake uh, last year. Oh right, yes, yeah. of course. And they're both done a lot of work with like Joe Swanberg and stuff. This is a movie sorry, Aubrey Plaza and Christopher Abbott, where Aubrey Plaza is a uh, is a filmmaker who is going to uh, to an isolated cabin in, in the woods for a writing retreat, uh, which is how uh, most uh, mumblecore movies start these yeah. days. She's l- going to be living on the property of this house owned by Christopher Abbott and and his wife. Over the course of the, the like first few days there, Christopher Abbott's wife, who's pregnant, starts to believe that there is kind of something going on between uh, Christopher Abbott and Aubrey Plaza. Then about halfway through, uh, there is a twist, and the entire movie goes in a uh, in an entirely different direction, which I'm, I'm not gonna not gonna talk about. But like it, it's maybe Aubrey Plaza's best performance ever. Mm. Like she's like she. You haven't seen Happiest Season though. I have seen Happiest Season. Ah, oh, yeah, no, it's uh, that that was mainly yeah. a joke about all the memes. I mean, like the other competition would be would be Legion, which I think she's fantastic. Not in. Ingrid Goes West. Oh yeah, I do. Also, I, I like her man a lot as well. Yeah, but but yeah, it's it, it it's a fantastic performance from from Aubrey Plaza. It's it's a it's also a re- 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 really good work from 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 Krista Rabbit, who who I'm growing to like a lot more as it goes in places I totally wasn't expecting. And I think, like a lot of the other films that I uh, like, it is uh, uh, it is ultimately about about like shithead men in the film industry. Yeah, um, um, yeah. Abbott for me, uh, as we will discuss later, I think does incredibly well as a blank slate. Yeah, uh, he he's a coiled spring to me. He he's potential. Uh, I haven't yet loved him in something, yeah. but that is because I expect that in the next five to ten years he's gonna do you know something like oh like he could kill an iago you know like a non-funny horrifying iago right yeah or like a big fan or just something explosive that will make me revisit all his previous work and see all the notes he was playing yeah quietly there but i will get around to black bear uh horse girl which is a, a Jeff Bania film that he um, that he directed and he wrote with Alison Brie, yeah. who is the star, and it's very much a star vehicle for yeah, her. It, it, it's such a it's such a great performance for, from Alison Brie. Yeah, who was like first saw her in Community as like oh yeah. she, she's like she's good at being like cute and funny. Yeah, and like she, she's obviously great at that. When I was seeing her in Community, did not like even begin to think that she had something like this. Well, and now she's just yeah, Horse Girl is, is essentially about um, a, a woman having. A, massive psychic break and reality another one of my favorite things in a movie uh uh, devolving around her and and while i think there there are issues with the film i think its heart is in all the right places and her performance is is especially strong and i and i like that uh, uh it it is a film that's full of conflict but none of it just comes from um easy kind of straw man uh the the lead character is having a tough time so all of their friends hate them yeah kind yeah of the character relationships in this movie were like much more complicated and feel much more real than, than you usually get in a movie like this and especially like her, her relationship with her best friend played by molly shannon yeah is i think so so well done well and her roommate who's mm. debbie ryan yes. uh, uh, and it's nice 
see some John Reynolds, uh, uh, and which I don't know. I just like when John Reynolds turns up in films because it just reminds me how much I love Search Party. Um, Search Party, a good television show. If you're in America, it's on HBO Max. Uh, check it out with Alia Shawcat from First Cow. Yeah. Um, and, and nothing else. And, but, uh, you know, the interesting thing about Alison Brie is that she has turned that kind of like bubbly thing into being like uh, the best person performing white privilege on screen. Yeah. Like that's what she's doing in Promising Young Woman. Mm. And like her her performance of that idea is so strong in Happiest Season. Like the craziest thing in Happiest Season to me is the fact because um oh what's her name the lead that's not Kristen stewart uh mckenzie davis mckenzie davis uh does not look great in that film and that is because they have the uh her mary holland her and mary holland who play alison brie's sisters mm. have all been styled to match alison brie right, yeah, yeah and no and not <laughs> and i just think it's an incredible power move on kind of alison brie's <laughs> behalf to be like oh no 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 out of the person who co-wrote the film and the lead of the film who play my sisters they're gonna look like me not the other way around um and so those are our also rands which brings us to heat number two david burns american utopia versus the assistant it is a lot harder to compare these two films. Yeah. One is a concert film and the other is David Burns' American <laughs> Utopia. No, um, the biggest comparison, they're, they're both in 185 to 1, the kind of standard cinema widescreen. <laughs> uh, they're both shot digitally. Uh, if, if both take place in New York. Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah. They, well, yeah. Uh, uh, American Utopia kind of takes place uh, everywhere, if you ask me. <laughs> um, <laughs> the which of these? Do you want to talk about American Utopia or The Assistant? Uh, I'll tell. Let's start with American Utopia. Yeah, American Utopia is is uh, is uh, a great joyful experience. It's the mm. film I'm the saddest I did couldn't see in the cinema this year. Okay, which you you did, uh, right? I, I I got to see it twice in a, in a cinema. How was it? Uh, it's oh no, sorry, I only got to see. It. I, I saw it once non cinema, then I saw it once in a cinema. Uh, yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's fantastic in the, in, in the yeah. cinema. Like uh, I I saw I saw it in the movie theater. With with my mum, the first time either of us watched Stop Making Sense was together last year, and, and so we, we we have like a real soft spot for uh, concert films featuring David Byrne. Yeah, and yeah, you know, it, was, it was such it was so it was lovely to be able to see it with, with my mum. And there were, uh, there was at least one point, maybe more, where we both cried. Mm. Uh, and like it's David Byrne is such a magnetic screen presence. Yeah, and like he, he, even though he's kind of like old and he can't like move move like quite as well as he used to, but like he, yeah. he's and like his his voice is maybe not as great. Like, well, I mean, like, but it's lived yeah, in. No, 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 it yeah, has, to yeah. coin a phrase, a patina yes, to yes. it now. And like, like it's 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 so good. The, the fucking the the, the 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 stage design is uh, just uh, a constant fucking delight. The 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 the, the lighting design is wonderful. It's just like it, it's it's. I don't know. It's like probably the like second or most like fun movie I've seen all year. Uh, it, but, but, but like it's also not just fun. It does it does other stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. and like that is uh, uh, stop making sense is an unstoppable comparison to make. And and there are several decisions throughout the film that I think Spike Lee has made kind of very deliberately just to not do stop making yes, sense again, yeah. which I think is a great idea. Yeah. 
uh, uh, because it, like the best thing about American Utopia is that it's not stop making sense too. Yeah. Um, but it also kind of for me underlines some of the ways that stop making sense had all the right ideas. Yeah. yeah. So it is like not showing the audience because when you see the audience in American Utopia and it is this ocean of middle-aged millennials and gen not millennials gen x and boomers and you're like i don't i don't want to see them i want to see this uh, like kind of beautiful and pointedly diverse uh uh creation on stage and, and that so much of the stage craft of the choreography this time is not designed around letting david byrne be free to do to be david byrne well yeah. to let talking heads be talking heads um but it is to make david byrne look as cool as possible <laughs> yeah and it is that way of like and maybe this is just me coming from a stage background being like oh yeah no that blocking this blocking is to make him look so much more energized than he is because he's he's an old dude yeah. and he's doing well and, and for me, the moments that really land in it are the moments that are really Spike Lee moments. Uh, yeah, uh, yes. Uh, like the Janelle Monáe song, Hell You Talking About, is like, yeah, it, just like incredibly like like Spike Lee filmmaking. Like yeah. it, it is, it is like fiery and polemical. That scene could be like in any Spike Lee movie and you'd be like, yeah, no, this is fucking real good. Well, and it is exactly the right thing for exactly the right moment. Yes. Uh, 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 if you don't know the song, uh, a lot of it is listing the names of people who've of people of color who've been murdered by the American police um, because they're just the biggest gang and Spike Lee will include images puts images of them up on screen as he's want to do or members of their family holding pictures of yeah. them and, and it really feels like the piece of art that has most carried the weight of that moment mm. and i th and i think the strongest way yeah. and i think that is spike lee and and janelle for writing the song and performing the song rather than american utopia mm. Um, the assistant, on the other hand, uh, is another right film for the right moment. Ab absolutely, and uh, that it's kind of the first major post Me Too film, uh, yeah, in a way, or a lot, a lot post Weinstein. Um, it, it's the story of an assistant at a film production company. Yeah, she's basically Harvey Weinstein's assistant. Yeah, played by Julia Gardner, who is good. Yeah. She's great. Yeah, the man that she's the assistant to, you, you never see him on screen. Oh, you see him, you, but he's out of focus. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. You you see his like legs like walk past. So you you never yeah. you never see his face. You never. Yeah. He is just this this like phantom avatar of everything that is wrong with the way that people wield power over others in in the in like all industries, but like especially film. Well, and uh, and you watch her spend the the first hour uh, mm. of this ninety minute film, kind of kind of clean up the detritus around yeah. him uh, and it works obviously so much through implication but that is because if you hit the horrors of what these men are doing right on the head uh, it becomes something else entirely and becomes slightly less than yeah it, it, it is a film that it's never shying away from the horror but it's always shying away from the exploitation yeah that makes it all the more horrifying it's, it's just yeah. the, the, the like way that everything is looks and and innuendos she's like cleaning a couch and she finds an earring 
stuck between the cushions. Or there's a scene where there is uh, some new young actress who, who's arrived in town, and Julia Garner is like tasked with with with, with like putting her in a cab and taking her to like an, an expensive hotel. Yeah, and just like the the, the entire time, like you know what's gonna fucking happen. Yeah, like you 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 know there was a reason this this fucking this fucking like film production guy is like getting this woman sent to a hotel and you you, you know what's gonna happen and they they never they never fucking say it because you can't say it because it'd be rude to say it yeah well and, and you don't want to lose your job yeah yeah um and, and then there's this fucking scene in the middle <laughs> Uh, which, which we'll get to, yes, I think. Uh, absolutely. I, I, like, I, I, my vote is for the assistant. I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, American but, Utopia is great, and, and and within the spirit of like we were before we started recording, we were talking. Finn has finally seen the first two Missions Impossible, uh, and, and Mission Impossible Two is a ridiculous and definitely bad film. <laughs> But I have so much sympathy and kind of love for it. And a large part of it is... Because there's a scene where, where two cars are spinning around and then like, doors get stuck together and they're like, trapped in like a death spin <laughs> together and then it go, almost go off a cliff. It's so good. Oh, no. uh, 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 there's a bit where um, uh, uh, Dougray Scott thinks he's killed Tom Cruise. He thinks right, he's yeah. shot oh, Tom yeah, Cruise. Yeah. Uh, 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 and he leans down and discovers it's not Tom Cruise. It was his henchman. And Tom Cruise had put him in one of the Mission Impossible masks. And he takes off the mask. It goes into jo- into John Woo's slow motion in this film directed by John Woo. Dougray uh, Scott starts screaming no <laughs> while the Limp Biscuit remix of the Mission Impossible <laughs> theme starts. And then we cut to the friend running down the corridor having stolen Chimera and Barrelera from these two, the virus in its cure. And in one shot, he chucks it in his leather jacket. And then as the main beat of the theme starts, rips off his face to reveal Tom Cruise's face. And like that, I think was the moment in 2000 (laughs) when I was like, that is what moving picture sound and plot together can do, can create that moment, that, that key spark of like adrenaline and joy in my body. And I think the only, the thing this year uh, of an individual moment that has done that is the, in the guitar solo in the middle of, in, in, in the middle of once in a lifetime right, where they yeah. all just fling their bodies backwards <laughs> in just in perfect time. And it's the perfect music and it's the perfect cut. And it's it just an incredible moment of euphoria. So I just, I want to pay tribute to that, but it, uh, utopia versus the assistant. It is absolutely the assistant. Yeah. I've read something. Well, kind of surprising and amazing. The other day I read that babies' brains have hundreds of millions more neural connections than we do as adults. And that as we grow up, we lose these connections. So I wondered to myself, what does this mean? Does this mean that babies are smarter than we are? And that as we grow up, we get stupider and stupider. And so now it's a category that for, uh, that um, other award ceremonies are too scared yeah. to include. This we, is, we are we are big, we are brave, we're, and we're introducing new categories. <laughs> and it is, of course... Best old film that we saw for the first time this year. So my winner from last year is coming out, and it's Shirley MacLaine from The Apartment. Uh, oh. It was the film I saw for the first time in January last year. I've seen three times since then. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. My five uh, best old movies I've seen this year. 
Number five is a short film called Atman. It was made by Japanese avant-garde director Toshio Matsumoto. From 1975, it's 12 minutes long, and it is uh, it is a guy in 1975 uh, trying to invent bullet time, basically. It is, uh, it's just a, it's 12 minutes of a camera spinning around a man in a field wearing like a demon mask uh, with a score by, um, uh, uh, with a score by a Japanese electronic musician called Toshi Ichiyanagi. Uh, like it is fucking jaw-droppingly good. Uh, there, there, there is a moment where they're like, there, there is a moment where it's like spinning around a bit first, and you're like, okay, I, I guess I see what it's doing, and then like it fully, it fully like kicks into gear, and your jaw drops and stays there for the next eleven and a half minutes. Uh, beautiful, beautiful fucking avant-garde filmmaking. Uh, number four, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, the Russ Meyer film written by uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, so, like the absolute height of. Uh, trash garbage camp so much fucking fun uh just like what one of one of the most enjoyable movies uh i've seen ever uh, number three uh the jerk directed by carl reiner starring steve martin and bernadette peters one of the funniest commenters i've ever seen and uh steve martin and bernadette peters are one of the uh best on-screen couples of all time uh number two the wind rises so all of miyazaki's films uh, most of them for the first time this year and uh, i'll totoro kiki and The Wind Rises are all, like, 10 out of 10 per film, but The Wind Rises is, I, I think, the best. Uh, I've never cried at anything as hard as I cried at, at the end of that movie, and the, and the earthquake sequence is uh, maybe the, the, like, the peak of Miyazaki's career uh, in, 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 in an animation sense. The, 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 yeah. the fucking earthquake is Had, astounding. It, it is what a film. Yeah. Number one for me is Punishment Park. Are you expecting to die in the next two or three days? I expect to die in the next two or three minutes. Directed by Peter Watkins. Just like an incredible bit of leftist agitprop. One of the most fucking, like, violently furious movies we've ever seen. This is a movie from, like, 1971 that, like, truly understands the, the like, power and horror of American fascism. And, uh, like, th- 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 this just kind of does everything I want from a movie. Yep. Um, yeah, I just agree with everything you said and don't have any jokes to add. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, last year we've got two, because, of course, my winners last year was a tie. Oh, okay. So we've got uh, Adele Haynal coming out uh, representing Water Lilies, oh, uh, right. Celine Sharma's uh, first film, which is... Incredible, yeah. Uh, which is incredible. And, of course, uh, another animated presenter. Uh, that's right, that's Shinji Ikari from Evangelion. Galleon 2.22, you can not, in brackets, advance. Um, it's really good. Um, I, uh, I honestly did not see that many films I had not. This year was a lot of comfort right, viewing yeah. for me, so there are kind of only two things I want to underline here. One is this year was my first exposure to old Edward Yang, Eddie Yang. Right. Oh, and, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I should say, like, obviously I yeah, was yeah. going to mention all the ones I saw from the podcast which were incredible, but yeah, yeah. like, but both Edward Yang's, Penny, Penny and Alexander, all those people. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I just like uh, uh, and we've met many great films through this podcast so far, but like Yee mm. Yee and Brighter Summer and, and Terrorizers, which is on a movie and is great uh, and is also great, it is, but Yee Yee and Brighter Summer are the two. Yeah. They're, 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 the, they're the magnum opuses in, careers, in a career of masterpieces. Um, uh, it's certainly the thing where I just like, oh, I. Oh, cool! Uh, something I can watch every year until I die. Yeah, 
and then uh, the other thing, uh, which doesn't fall under what we've watched this year, um, uh, one of these I had seen before, which is Unbreakable. Right. Uh, uh, but of course, Unbreakable is only the f- first third of a film, the second parts of which are split and glass. What do we call you, sir? First name, Mr. Last name, Glass. And I think uh, um, Split is a film that is very offensive to me as someone who who suffers from mental illness. Um, But uh, I can entirely get past that because how else are you going to get that James McAvoy performance? Uh, um, And Anya Taylor-Joy does a great job with an incredibly underwritten final girl character. And then Glass, at the risk, like, is the film that is actually deconstructing the superhero myth as core, like, as the, as the, as the, as like the ideological basis of our culture right now, in the way that every superhero film thinks it is, but it's not. And Glass is the film that is like, yes, superheroes are the world's, the Western world's folk tales now. And is that a good thing? And how it pushes that and like, it, it, it sucks that they couldn't afford Bruce Willis enough to have him play the role he should in the film. But right, Samuel, yeah. L, Samuel L. Jackson uh, and um, James McAvoy in that film uh, kill it. And you probably know how it ends because it's been on many podcasts like this being snarked about. But the the fact that the ending is a disappointing anticlimax is the point. Right, yeah. Uh, and it is one of two narratives that end with now the world knows and that makes things better where I actually buy it. And the other one is a spoiler, so I, I won't say I shouldn't have set that up. Anyway, unrelatedly, everyone check out Mr. Robot. It's a great TV show. There's no reason I just mentioned it just then, no spoilers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mainly, I, I wish I had gone into to older films more, but uh, I was just trying not to panic for a lot of this year. Heat number three, first cow versus Palm Springs. Let's talk about first cow first. First cow, first thing I want you to know, that film shot digitally. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's all false film grain. <laughs> I know, it's great, right? Yeah. It shows what we L- can looks, do. Looks good. It's, oh, uh, it looks incredible. Yeah. And it is like, it, I kind of want to be like, Fist Cow is a, a film you have to see um, in, in the way that describing the plot makes it sound incredibly slight. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a movie about a milk heist yeah, to make biscuits. A, a long-term milk heist. But like the best thing I can say about it is that it's a film where Toby Jones shows up and you're not like, oh, now the film is good. <laughs> It's a film where Toby Jones shows up and you're like, oh yeah, okay. I mean, we've already had Rene Auberjonois <laughs> in his final performance as Man with Raven, <laughs> who doesn't say anything. No, no, he doesn't. Um, but it is, oh, I want to say charming in a way that doesn't sound dismissive, but it's a film that's all charm to uh, me. Yeah, no, it, it was like, there's two incredible central performances from Orion Lee and I can't remember the other guy's name. John Majero. Oh, John, John Majero, yeah. Who, 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 who or is, possibly Magara? Yeah, who's in like Carol and, and some other stuff. Yeah, it's set in Oregon in the uh, in the like kind of like mid nineteenth century. Yeah, yeah, eighteen twenties, eighteen thirties. Yeah, and it, it's it, it's just about kind of like life in this frontier town 
where there is nothing. No. And about two men, uh, one of them who was a cook, and one of his name, Cookie. Yep. Uh, and one of them uh, who is just sort of like a jack of all trades. Well, he's on the run from Russians because he yeah. killed a Russian. Yeah. And he he uh, he is uh, uh, he is a Chinese man, yeah. and they, they they just strike up this like incredibly like this incredibly like charming friendship, and they they they're just like trying to figure out how to how like uh, survive the uh, the just like everyday horrors of being poor in America. Yeah, um, Kelly Reichardt who who directed it and co-wrote it with yeah. Jonathan Raymond adapting his book. Oh, okay, uh, uh, which wasn't called First Cow, it was called The Half Life. He's a fool. Call it First Cow. Yeah, call it First Cow. It's a great uh, name. Um, uh, had described this film as open, and not in that it's not like you. Uh, it's not open in that there's nothing to interpret in it. It's pretty clear yeah, what. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's pretty clear what happens. But it is. It is this film that is about. It's a very kind of plain story. There's a, there. There are no B plots. Well, their friendship is kind of the B mm. plot, and this this growing camaraderie between them but yeah no they they need to get by they see that the first cow is being brought into town and so at night they pull milk heists to make delicious biscuits to sell yeah uh and but the openness comes in how much oh it kind of gives itself to you it feels very open the fact that it feels like it was shot on film rather than digital and it's an academy ratio yeah one of three films this year on the bracket and academy ratio well four depending on whether you count imax's uh academy ratio because uh wait till we talk about wonder woman's placement <laughs> um <laughs> You know, for, for, for first cow is yeah no it, it's it's I think I, I said to you a few days ago like if I'd seen it in a theater it would have been my favorite of the year probably it's so it's so it's so fucking good from from like from moment one and yeah. then and then that 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 fucking ending is just like the ending of first cow is uh, so like gentle but hints at so much darkness and well and yeah and not to tip my hand uh, three hundred and sixty five days early but like so much of what uh, makes Nomadland an incredible home run is that it, it looks it, it is unflinching about the brutality of the world mm. but still manages to find hope in it uh, and that that hope is entirely about like the world is fucked <laughs> and there's like watching First Cow you're like yeah you're right the American frontier in 1820 is exactly what it feels like to be alive now but the best thing we can do is be with other people and be ourselves and be friends and, and that it can hold that thought and you believe it at the same time as being like, and the world sucks is an incredible, uh, a work of balance. Um, and yeah, it's good. It's, it's just damn good. Now, Palm Springs is our highest rated film that only one of us chose. Yeah. I did not pick it. No. I do not dislike it. I just, it's not. I think it's I think it's a B plus. Right, yeah. So a pitch to me because you've got it. You had it the third or fourth, right? No, I I I had it. I had it number one for for like most of a year. Yeah, and. I don't know. I I I I I, I it's it's a movie that I, that I haven't rewatched, and I, I it's possible it would like go down in the rankings on, on a rewatch. But like I I think I'm for 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 someone who's like such a fucking film snob, I'm kind of easy on a lot of like American studio comedies. Yeah, and also I'm I'm such a fucking sucker for the like Groundhog Day thing. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I think that Andy Samberg and 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 Kristen Milioti are so fucking charming and funny in this. 
And it's one of the few movies where I was like, well, it's just like nice. There's people, there's like people like learning to like be nice and like care about things. Yeah. And that, that's, that's like at, at, at the time of the year that I watched it, that was like exactly what I needed to see. And uh, I, I think it, it's, it's, it's full of good jokes. They're, they're like, they're, they're, they're uh, I don't, it, 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 like, even though people have been doing fucking Groundhog Days for like 30 years now, yeah. they're, 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 it's a real happy death day yeah they uh, keep finding new ways to play with it and i think the idea of having like a second person also get groundhog dayed is a really smart move yeah and it makes the like romance stuff a, a lot less kind of gross yeah. where it's just like one person like slowly trying to like figure out everything they can about another person so they can like trick them into loving them yeah but yeah uh, and i don't know i think it's just it's just really fun it also uses a kate bush song at one point which i like a lot oh yeah no uh, it's great fun and it, and it goes real it goes real deep on things that does not you do not expect it to go yeah. to go deep on. Uh, I think the the reason that uh, it's not on my list is the reason there are a couple of things not on my list. It's the reason Soul is not on my list, which is uh, uh, this year as I have have become more and more obsessed with with making a film myself in a way that is unhealth unhealthy, but. But led to 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 that long monologue I gave about Age of the Dragons, which I think is is quite good. Uh, it's my that's my Oscar clip for the the podcast Oscars, the Puskas. And so I've engaged a lot with the hero's journey right, and yeah, yeah. the film's three act structure. And the thing I wanted Palm Springs to do was surprise me, and that I knew the film from the first twenty minutes. No. From whenever he first gets the bow and arrow to shoot at him. Right, yeah, yeah. When I was like, oh, no, I've got it. And then I was tracking it, and it just didn't surprise me. But I'm aware that that's a problem with me. Right. Uh, as opposed to a problem with the film. Uh, um, I'm really glad that Miliotti, Kristen Miliotti, yep. who is uh, the co-lead with Andrew Samberg uh, from uh, Awesome Town, Awesome Land, I can't remember. I, I, I have no idea what that is. It was a Lonely Island web series. Well, you, you might remember him from doing a verse on Turn Up the Beef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or uh, the fact that he's never stopped, never <laughs> stopping. Um, <laughs> i say... Popstar is good enough to get two jokes out of references <laughs> to. Uh, the real moral here is, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping, uh, stop the podcast and listen to it. Come back. How yeah. good is that? Tony, yeah. Tony, Tony, Tony. Uh, uh, Hunter the Hungry. Um, anyway. Um, but, and that I came out of Palm Springs and I wanted to be, to be like, oh, okay, so now I can't do Groundhog Day loot. Obviously, but that I came out of it being like, oh, I have all these extra ideas. I wanted to, I wanted it to go deeper. I didn't mm. want it. I wanted it to be brave enough uh, to be an indie film, which couldn't afford those actors or that scale, and, and not quite have the structure you expect right, it to yeah. have. And, and like that's we, we, me we, we, being a dick. And like we, we, when you when you learn more about the guy who directed it, uh, Max Barbakov, yeah. you, you're like. Oh yeah, why isn't that movie weirder? Because he, like, you know, he 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 went to like a film school in Cuba and studied with Werner Herzog, and like, uh, you can see that though. Yeah, but like, you, I can't see it as much as I want to be able to see it. When I learned that someone studied film with Werner Herzog in, in Cuba, I'm like, yeah, you should be making crazy shit. Yeah, I'm totally fine with like, you know, being like sort of like on my own without how much I love Palm Springs. And I'm, uh, uh, I think, I think we should put, we should put first cow through. Yeah, I agree. But I also think people, uh, Palm Springs is on uh, Prime Video, Amazon Prime Video. Thanks, Jeff. 
uh, um, the <laughs> uh, and you should absolutely check it yeah, out. No, it's, and it's, it's a it's a it's a really good comedy. And if you've been uh, if you're in a country where you've been fucking stuck inside all year, uh, this will probably really speak to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's another. It's, it's a movie about being fucking trapped in somewhere you cannot escape and being fucking sick of it. Well, and it's also the thing, like, this bracket is made up of, for, uh, like, to get on the bracket, the, the, there are no bad films on this list. Yeah. Are there? Mm. Oh, yeah, I kind of, yeah, we'll see. We'll okay. get to. Uh, um, well, I just, just end things. Stop thinking about it. <laughs> we should break up. What? You don't like me. I don't like you. But I don't think we should break up. What? People don't break up with me. This is so fucked up. The next category Paddington announces. Best one scene performance. And so, well, yep, it's everyone's favorite character from everyone's favorite film. That's right. It's the abortionist from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was considering. I was yeah. considering that. Oh, is she here twice then? Uh, coming out on the stage to read the nominees for best one scene performance in a feature film brackets, youth are closed brackets. There's, of course, Sean Bean getting his eye gouged out in possessor oh, he, he he's he's in like three scenes uh he i he's in one major set piece and, also, and is look, in the look, background I, i'm also gonna do a scene category fraud so i'm not gonna yeah so i'm not gonna argue with you too much yeah, yeah. no uh, and, uh, and, yeah i think that's totally arguable that and, he's in one scene and uh, uh, he has a major like yeah yeah i think you could say like maximum two days shooting and <laughs> i would be surprised if sean bean didn't just do one day uh, on that Two nominees from Promising Young Woman is Christopher Mintz Plus oh, uh, yeah. uh, oh. as a man talking about the novel he's working on and how much he loves Infinite Jest. Uh, that w- that was the point in the cinema this year where it was the most Finn and Yutha and no one else laughing this year. Yeah, we also like weren't sitting together for that yeah, movie. Yeah, and so it's like two people <laughs> in different parts of the cinema laughing, and everyone else was quiet. But it is he, no longer McLovin. <laughs> He's now Infinite Jest guy. I, yeah, this... is a, it's su- such a such a fucking good pause for him that scene. Uh... <sighs> well, in in a film that is a cavalcade, promising young woman, um, which is the Emerald Fennel film, which we may discuss. I think we will discuss more uh, uh, later. Yeah. For the first half, is very much a cavalcade of Carrie Mulligan from Blink, Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was the first place I saw. Her. Yeah, well, she's yeah, good. Yeah, uh, 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 meeting with uh, uh, pretending to be drunk while meeting up with. With, uh, terrible men uh, and, a, and it's a bunch of great terrible men performances yeah. Adam Brody is in there but Christopher Mintz Plus absolutely cakes the take in this one it's the point where Oh, is he the one who tries to get her to do cocaine yeah yeah, yeah no uh, uh, I've never seen <laughs> like you know there's that thing about like violence uh, on screen will never be uncool and I've, I've always thought like drug use is kind of like that but it's like no that's the first absolutely uncool use of drugs in a film <laughs> is Christopher Mintz Plaster and a line of coke. Um, highly recommend. Gillian uh, Bell. Oh, no, my other nominee in Promising Young Woman is a slight category fraud, which is Alfred Molina yeah. uh, as, a, a, as a, a sad former lawyer. And uh, he is uh, obviously like a three-time nominee in this because, of course, he won for Boogie Nights. <laughs> 
and um, was nominated for, oh, it's Fallen, oh, Magnolia, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, in which he fires Willie H. Macy uh, 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 absolutely unsympathetically. But more importantly, uh, we all remember his defining performance, one scene performance, where he. As Doc Ock. <laughs> I mean, imagine if that no, <laughs> Spider-Man Two, but it's all one scene. Yeah. I kind of like that idea. Um, uh, but playing this just drenched in regret lawyer who spent his life covering up sexual assault cases, um, uh, and finally like dealing with it, and it, it's kind of the one of two good performances. Uh, uh, I I think we've seen a lot of like the. A thing that happened in comedy before it started happening in film was very much uh, male stand-up comedians going on stage talking about terrible things they've done and then talking about how sad it made them yeah. as if it forgave them, uh, and, and which is very much what... Uh, and you were just sitting there being like, eh, but you're still profiting off this. Um, and, and it was never great, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are brilliant cases of it, but... Yeah. Uh, um, and, and and I mean really terrible things. There, there are a lot of right, can't yeah. stand-up comedians who say talk about but doing bad stuff but like really terrible anyway uh and, and and melina kind of gives a performance in the same mode i mean it's much less funny but the absolute lack of ego in the performance mm. and the fact that even though it's his one scene he gives so much of it to mulligan um uh, is great Gillian Bell in Bill and Ted Face the Music is the marriage counselor. Uh, she has four lines and they're all laugh lines. That's all I'll say. And, and of course, uh, the it's not category fraud, but it feels like it. The second build actor in The Assistant, Matthew McFadden. He is only in one scene. But the that scene is 20 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. And is uh, incroyable. Yeah. Uh, I presume he's also on your list. So my winner for best performance, uh, uh, best one scene performance in 2019 is Jeremy Bob as the songwriter from Under the Silver Lake. Coming out onto the stage swathed in the weirdest makeup you'll <laughs> see in a film this year. Oh, his head is still being bashed in with a guitar. Okay, so my five are Stuart Wright uh, as Mr. Baines in Small Axe Education. He's like one line in another scene. Yeah. But there, there is a scene where he, he's a teacher at, at a, at a like special needs school. Well, the, uh, yeah. yeah. The, and the whole, the whole like thing for, for our movie is we're just like constantly like learning. But like the school is basically just where like the establishment like sends kids who they don't give a shit about. And, and, and none, or none of the teachers there give a shit about teaching. Mm -hmm. And there is a scene where this fucking guy is playing the House of a Rising Sun really badly on his guitar. And. <sighs> And there are like five different times you think, okay, they're gonna like cut the scene now. But no, he just keeps going. He plays the entire song and yeah. then like oh, just... uh, several times messing up, stopping yeah, and, and going like, back a bit. It's it's, it's one of the, it's maybe the funniest ones in performance of a year. So oh. it's incredibly fucking good. Yeah. And then right, right after he finishes the song, he's like, and is anyone who that was by? The animals, everyone, and the animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, amazing. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, my number four is Gabrielle Graham in Possessor. Uh, she's the woman in the opening scene who uh, who oh, is being possessed. I didn't. I just. I would absolutely. Yeah. Okay. If yeah, that. I I, I. I. I thought that was several scenes because. But the first shot of Possessor is a close up on her. It's a close up on her on her scalp. And and then yeah. it cuts to like a close up on her face. Yeah. As 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 someone takes over her body. 
uh, and it is oh maybe my favorite no it's my second favorite single shot of the year yeah no it's 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 fucking remarkable that movie doesn't work if you can't get actors who can make it look like their bodies are being taken over and she does an amazing job oh, I, uh, when we will get to it i i will strongly argue that's what makes the film successful yeah. that and yeah. obviously it looks incredible um, my, my number three is Alfred Molina and Promising Young Woman. I agree with everything you said about him. Yeah, it, uh, fantastic. My number... It's just always good to have a yeah. Mole and Molina. Like... Yeah. Uh, my number two is Bill Nye in Mank. Which <laughs> 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 is be like, be like one real moment where yeah. I got any enjoyment out of Mank was was just like yeah. realizing that it was Bill Nye playing up to Sinclair in the distance. Uh, super fun. And then my number one is Matthew McFadden and the assistant. Just a sec. Hey. No, no, no need. No, we're fine, really. What? <laughs> you think I give a shit about the Rangers? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, uh, like, yeah, the, he's the obvious winner. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, it's an incredible performance. Like that, 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 that performance is why we is why we decided to do a one scene performance category. Yeah, like as uh, Matthew McFadden has gone through so many phases in his career, yeah. and that he's landed on kind of slime ball white collar, and yet this performance is so separate from his one in succession right and is the singular performance of he's the head of hr at the company which where she goes to make a complaint being like i think something shit's going on uh and and just just like the like way he, he, he starts out as like so friendly and encouraging I and mean, then over the scene he's just slowly chipping away at her like her like confidence and her, her self-belief and he's just like it, it is it is 20 minutes of some of the most upsetting gaslighting you'll ever see. Well, it is uh, a thing I've been thinking about a lot is how hard it is uh, to express microaggression. Yeah. Um, and, and like what um, status and privilege actually feel like in the real world in narrative arts. And that's why so much of the time people try and express those things and you're like, no, it's too much. It's not that big in the real world. Yeah. And this, it is yeah, it, it, the it's, exact it's right so size. It's so easy to, to be like, uh, yeah, it's it's so easy to do scenes like this in a way that feels like didactic. Yeah. And it, it, it never, never, never feels like that. Congrats, Matthew. Good, good job. Yeah. Oh, but to yeah. everyone on that list, yeah. good job. Heat number four, The Forest of Love, colon, deep cut versus never, rarely, sometimes, always. Never, really, sometimes, always is a kind... Well, it's one of two movies this year, about two teen girls going on a road trip to get an abortion. Oh, what's the other uh, one? The other one is called Unpregnant. Oh. And it, it's, it star, stars Haley Lou Richardson and is directed by a woman who also directed the uh, Valley Girl remake this year, which I uh, didn't see because oh, yeah. I heard it wasn't very good. But, um, but I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty excited. It's got a, it's, it's got a good uh, Giancarlo Esposito performance in it. Oh, I, as, I mean, as, is as there a, such a thing as a bad Giancarlo Esposito? As a crazed conspiracy theorist limo driver. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, n- 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 uh, never really, sometimes, always is about a young woman played by Sydney Flanagan yeah. who finds out that uh, uh, she's like 15, I think, in the movie. I believe 16. so, yes. Yeah, yeah. She, she finds no, out. No, she is 17. Oh, okay. okay, so, so she, uh, she, she finds out that she is pregnant and uh, also that she uh, uh, cannot uh, get an abortion uh, in, in the state she's coming in, which is, I think, like Pennsylvania. Yeah. 
And uh, so uh, uh, her and uh, uh, her her cousin. Well, like the conflict is is that she can't because parental consent is required in in Pennsylvania, but not in New York. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so so her and her cousin, played by Talia Ryder, they have to uh, find a way to to get to New York and stay there for for like a, a few days. What they think at the beginning is one day and right. turns into three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah while, while while they like wait for uh, while they're forced to like wait for uh, uh, wait for the the uh, the abortion, and uh, it's this it's 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 just it's real good. It, it is. An incredibly like non-dramatic movie, really. It is so grounded at every single point, and it, it it's one of those movies which like the the assistant does, but like not not to the same extent. Which is, like every single time a man is on screen and is in focus, just like oh no, not <laughs> not not one of these again. Yeah, and there, there are there are so many scenes which play with that like in incredibly disquieting ways. And like the 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 Thule performances are are fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's just a really like it, it's just a like really really good piece of like realist filmmaking. Well, yeah, it's very much in the kind of post Arden neo realism uh, cinema verite thing. Yeah. Uh, it's all handheld. There's a lot of people walking in hoodies while cameras stick with them in yeah. mid shot, and then hang around in their face and art oh, goes a bit out of focus. Um, I think Sydney Flanagan, they give uh, an incredible lead performance. It's an incredible debut performance. I'm not anti this film, but I'm mixed on it as okay. a film. I don't disagree with almost anything you've said. It, it is just that I have, I went through a real deep neorealism right, yeah. phase. I saw the child. I saw the son. I saw Rosetta. I saw the Dardenne's film and was like, I have to see everything that looks like this right. uh, and, and that that very much kind of has its own set of ideas and uh, and grammar obviously as with, with any point of form uh, and the thing that interests me the most about never really sometimes always is that when it breaks those rules is when it succeeds the best the scene that gives it its title uh, is in the new york clinic um, she, she's put through a, a questionnaire by the doctor uh, of, um, you know, do you, do you often feel threatened in your own home? Now you just say never, really, sometimes or always. And, and it is this static shot of Sidney Flanagan reacting. And it, uh, it's heartbreaking and incredible. And yeah. I wish that doctor had not appeared in more scenes because then that would be... Uh, uh, easy uh, like they're the competition that that, that right, yeah, for, yeah. um but it also very much for me you know how kind of the problem with mumblecore is that they're all kind of the same film yeah. at this point and it is i've just seen so many people hanging out at the port authority in new york in handheld and like i saw it in port authority last year right yeah and uh, uh, that this does not bring something to it. I've not seen Eliza Hitman's other films, though I, I've heard good things about yeah, both of same. them. That I I think that that what put this on my list for me is, is Sydney Flanagan's debut performance in the lead, and like Talia Ryder, um, uh, is a supporting lead. Is also it's also great, but it's all like this film is is. It's all Sydney yeah. in a lot of ways. They're in every scene, I presume, uh, or yes. maybe there's yeah. ostentatiously one one that isn't. And when you've seen like uh, there's a Damien Lewis film called Keen, 
um, which is, uh, you know, a different plot, but the same style. And, and Damien okay. Lewis cannot give a performance that holds up when you're that focused on them. Or, or right. I, I weirdly think about A Wrinkle in Time, which is a, a full of first performances from its child mm. actors and is a film that, for some unknowable reason, is almost entirely in close-up. And you just can't, like, performances just can't survive that. Right. And, and, and the fact that uh, if, like, Sidney Flanagan is is a musician, I believe, yeah, first. Yeah. But it's like, if, if, if I looked them up and saw that, oh, this is their first film, but, you know, they've been they've been nominated for five Tonys. You know, they they were one of the the Matildas and Matilda right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and they're an incredible actor. But like that performance and, and like and obviously working with that performance is a success of Hitman. I'm not calling mm. the film great. It is just that I think as a film, it's inextricable from that performance. And, oh, like there are several, it makes really brave decisions in terms of like what information it gives you and doesn't yeah. give you. Yeah. Does that make sense? It yeah. sounds like, again, if it's on the bracket, it's good. Yeah. If you have a chance to see Never Really, Sometimes Always, check it out. And the other film is, of course, The Forest of Love Deep Cut. My uh, favorite film of the year. I've, I've watched Forest of Love once. I've watched The Deep Cut uh, twice now. Yeah. Uh, but Forest of Love is, is a 2019 is 20, film. 20, 20, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't see it till this year. Yeah, so The Forest of Love, Deep Cut, is a film by uh, Japanese weirdo uh, Shion Sono, who I've got uh, super into this year. Yeah. Like, How did, can you, let's start there. How um, did that happen? Okay, so like two years ago, I saw that Nicolas Cage was making a film called Prisoners of a Ghostland <laughs> with some weirdo Japanese guy. Yeah. And I was like, I love Nicolas Cage. Uh, this sounds great. And I, I didn't, didn't really think any more about it. And then at the like end of last year, I joined a Facebook group called Patrician Film Posting, which is like a shit posting group for film snobs. And and a lot of people were talking about a movie called Love Exposure, which is Sono's like most well known film. Um, that or or Suicide Club or Suicide Club, yeah, yeah. yeah so I saw a lot of people talking about uh, uh, talking about Love Exposure and how it's like there's like crazy four hour long masterpiece. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then at the beginning of this year, uh, I, I saw uh, uh, saw The Forest of Love on Netflix and realized it was by the same guy who was making that Nicolas Cage movie. And I was like, yeah, I'll fucking watch the shit out of this. And I watched it. It ruined my day for like three days. Just sent me into a horrible depression because <laughs> uh, that's what this movie does. And then I saw there was a longer cut of it coming out. I was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking watch that as well. <laughs> and then I bought copies of, of Love Exposure, Anti-Porno, Cold Fish, Tag, like as many of his films I could find, and uh, him and Peter Watkins, other two filmmakers I've discovered this year, was like, "Oh, this is this is all I want movies to be." So broadly, the Forest of Love deep cut is about a man called Joe Morata, uh, who is a con man. Yeah, and uh, and but he, like he's not like obviously he's a con man, yeah. but he's more he's, he's like no, he's he's more he's just like a he's he, like he, a magic liar. Yeah, he. Oh, that, that is a very good way to, to <laughs> yeah. describe it. At the beginning of the film, there is a like, 19-year-old kid called Shin who arrives in Tokyo for the first time and is just like busking on the street. And he meets two young filmmakers, Jay and Fukami. They like take him under their wing and be like, yeah, we're going to teach you about filmmaking. We're going to show you all the cool stuff you can do in Tokyo because we're, 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 we're young, cool dudes in Tokyo. We can do whatever we want. And uh, they, they meet a girl called Taiko, who is um, a friend of, of Jay and Fukami's. And uh, through Taiko, they meet a girl called Mitsuko, 
and Mitsuko and Taiko went to school together. They went to a girls' school where they were both involved in a lesbian production of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, that um, was it was their their friend group's entry in the theater Grand Prix the yeah. school was having. Yeah, and that production ended in tragedy when the <laughs> when the actress who played uh, who's going to play Romeo uh, died uh, in a car accident, and that that sent uh, both uh, Mitsuko and Taiko. Uh, off on like very different uh, sort of life paths where, where Mitsuko becomes like uh, becomes a shut-in and uh, sort of just like living inside her memories of Eiko who, who's playing Romeo whereas Taiko has become a self-declared slut yeah. and just sort of walks around town telling people I'm a slut <laughs> and uh, it's yeah and, but in, in, in like a very uh, like pointedly performative way I think yeah, yes. yes like these are both this is this is a film that is about people performing their lives and yes. what happens when those performances fall apart yeah. and about how arbitrary the choices we make when we choose our life performance. Yeah. Once Jay Fukami and Shin have kind of met up with Taiko Mitsuko, Mitsuko gets a call from a man who tells him that his name is Joe Murata and that he, uh, he knew her back when she was in high school and now he's gone to Harvard and he works for the CIA and he wants to meet her. And she she agrees to meet him, and then all of their lives go to fucking shit. And uh, it is, I mean, it, it's it's in like it's an it's incredible five and a half hours. It is, um, I mean, it is. Uh, I mean, it's both relentless and languid. Like yeah. it manages to feel both much longer and much shorter than it seems. Yeah, and like it, it has this this it has. I think mean, these like two just like incredibly like intense and upsetting central performances from Eri Kamataki as Mitsuko in her like first film role and from Kipe Shina as Joe Murata uh, as like just the the most like chaotically like evil person just I've ever seen the film he is Satan I, basically I, I, I am sure we will talk well, yeah. I'm going to talk about him when we get to best act um, as am I yeah it is it, it, it's, it's, it's my favorite film of the year it is the film that is that has like affected me the most and i don't know it, it kind of like every seance sort of film i've seen so far is about like exploitation in, in japanese filmmaking or pornography it is about intense violence it is about the, the like kind of like in, intractable problems in japanese society It is about like the way that traditional parents uh, fuck up their children with guilt and shame they're about the weird like madonna horror complex that that like both men and women seem to have and like the, the like weird weird contortions that forces people into yeah and i i love it so much we will talk about it more because uh, i want to put it through is it of, yeah. of the two yep because i think it brings us next of course uh uh to to our, our next category again never really sometimes always check it out very very, uh, very good film. It, uh, uh, it, i i worry it sounded like i didn't like it yeah. it it's, it is again like my issue with Palm Springs, uh, I am the one at fault. Are you allergic to any medication? No. Nope. You have any allergies to latex or shellfish? No. Have you ever had surgery before? No. Nope. Ever been in the hospital for anything? Nope. Have you ever had anesthesia before? No. No? Okay. Anyone in your family have any major illness like cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure? Parents, um, grandparents? No, not that I know of. Okay. And do you have a healthy diet? I th think so. Gnarliest or grossest moment? 
And of course, my my winner from last year coming out on stage. That's right. It's that scene from The Nightingale. <laughs> that scene from The Nightingale. I'm not going to describe it because <laughs> I don't want to make light of any of the content that happened yep. in it. Oh, that's upsetting. Um, I only have three nominations here. But there, that's because I just didn't really want to think about it. But one is from The Forest of Love Deep Cut. The Forest of Love has several sequences of people disposing of bodies yeah. at length. And of course, during one of them, turns out someone ain't dead. Uh, and so someone wakes up to see one of their loved ones hacked into pieces and they start screaming and vomiting and the person cutting up the bodies starts screaming and vomiting and then kills them. It's uh, so hardcore. <laughs> Number two, it is head pop mask time in possessor. Yeah. <laughs> I could have put many scenes from possessor, but uh, possessor. And of course I, I want to put kind of all of board at subsequent movie <laughs> film but the specific winner is there is you're you're not gonna see that film right no no maybe like a few years so uh he takes his daughter uh, uh to a bakery and, and she begs him to get a cupcake which has a decorative little toy baby on top and of course she eats it too greedily and so now has a baby inside her so but it's a toy baby so they of course go to an american abortion doctor and it's like hello i put a baby in my daughter can you help us support it and of course the but the most disgusting thing is of course the the doctor alighting and oh and there's like there are just so many scenes in that where there's also a scene where a plastic surgeon where it is just like saying the quiet parts loud that's my winner my winner from last year is that guy who got uh, who got a knife in the eye in john wick chapter three. Oh, that's right i showed that scene to my mum on youtube once oh wow oh, no, I, I stopped right before the like knife went into the eye because i want to show the, the rest of the like the knife fight scene yeah like how good is this i mean i, I knew that'd be too much for us so i stopped right with the, like i was about to go into the eye Ugh, good scene my five for this year the scene in alone where uh, jules wilcox is running barefoot through the woods and gets uh, <coughs> uh, uh and gets a true root uh, through her foot. This movie is a, is a lot less extreme than, like, Day of Reckoning. Like, if, if this scene had happened in Day of Reckoning, it would be my number one. But, like, th 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 this is a much more grounded film. But, like, it's still uh, very gross, and it looks like she got a real uh, giant stick in her foot. Uh, no. uh, my number four is Mulch Diggums unhinging his jaw in Artemis Fowl. Uh, just, like... You know, it, it is baby's first body horror, and it's just even worse when it's got uh, Josh Gad's face. Uh, <laughs> just tr truly upsetting, uh, gross, uh, lazy CGI. Sounds like a real uh, uh, Coneheads moment. Oh, ab absolutely a Coneheads moment, except the like, giant mouth-opening stuff in Coneheads was done practically, so it looks, I, I, I think, so it looks uh, good. I, I mean, uh, yes, yeah. it is just, you know. Uh, uh, and my number three is all of the sex scenes in 365 days. They are in this weird, uncanny valley between like softcore erotica and brasses, and it's uh, very upsetting the whole time. Uh, my number two is Sean Bean's face in Possessor. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, what they do to Sean Bean's face in this movie, it's uh, <laughs> very, very, very gross. My number one is a scene from 
Forest of Love Deep Cut, but I'm going to give a shout out to another scene from Forest of Love Deep Cut, <laughs> uh, which is in episode four when they're all in a bar together and Joe Murata is trying to prove to uh, to Jay Fukami and Shin that Mitsuko and Taiko love all of the abuse he's putting them through. And so he drinks a glass of beer and then goes over to Mitsuko. And in one in one unbroken shot, you see him spit the beer into Mitsuko's open mouth and then just like dribble a bit more and then just spit like fully into her face. And it's, uh, I mean, like, ugh. I, yeah. But, 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 but like my, yeah. my, my, my one from Forest of Love Cut is the first, uh, uh, is the first scene where they're uh, uh, cutting up bodies and putting them in a blender. Just like n- n- nothing, nothing this year has made me feel as fucking disgusted and on the verge of throwing up, but still like weirdly compelled as, as that first, uh, as that first dis- dismemberment scene in, in the Forest of Love Cut. Fair dues. Heat number five, Bill and Ted face the music versus sound of metal. Bill and Ted face the music was very much the right, precisely the right film, precisely the right time for me this year. I've only cried in one more film. I've only cried more in one other film this year, and I'll tell you about No Man Land next year. Um, but Bill and Ted, for me, is very much uh, a film. I thought it was going to be a film about legacy. It sets it up as like, this is a film about how do you make a song that saves the world? Yeah. But really it is about how can you be a good person with the weight of expectations around you and how can you be good to yourself? And I think it oh, sorry, does. How, how, how can you be excellent to yourself? Oh, of course. Um, and, and how, uh, can you uh, evolve as a person in a world that seems designed to make you stagnant? And how can you be a good person? And I think it does a better job of answering uh, a lot of those uh, questions than most other films than does those. And it, and, and it is an answer that I think is more complex than just be excellent yeah. to each other. Um, but a real key thing for me is that that. Uh, uh, it's pretty obvious watching it that the ending of the film is going to be that, of course, their great work is not a song. It is their daughters, who are also, of course, named Bill and Ted. (laughs) Um, uh, But when the film gets to that revelation, it's not about, it's not a big magical twist. It's just the obvious thing. And it's not about how, oh, they have to go back and be good dads back in time. It is just that they were always good dads because they were there and present. And I, and they did it without work and they did it because they love their kids and each other and they love their wives. They love everyone. And that, and that that's what we have to have in ourselves and in the world is, I found incredibly moving, but also was like the the solution to all the bullshit. Like uh, The Sopranos is a masterpiece and a justifiably defining work, but it has meant that the past 20 years of media have largely been about um, men writing men going, I love stroke, fear my father. Right, yeah. Or I have a child and I fear that he will become as bad as I am and I've done bad things and I'm guilty. Uh, And I think that... Or the first Christopher Rabbit movie we saw was, I have a child and I'm afraid I'm going to stab it with an ice pick. Yeah, but like, well, kind of. And I kind of think that all of those films are groping in the dark towards... um, 
the answer that Bill and Ted face the music offers, which is uh, just love your kids and love each other and be okay with that. Right. And also I like the, how clearly it addresses like the first two films are good and like Bogue's journey is better than seventh seal mm. uh, as, as we said on this podcast, but it is like the fact that, that when they, of course it's Bill and Ted, so they've got to get a collection of people throughout history, but this time they work very hard to make it a diverse yeah. collection of people and that it's a film that's also about fatherhood, but also makes sure to have a scene where Louis Armstrong and Mozart get to listen to Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh yeah, no. So you're not just doing those things. And like, sure, it's a big studio comedy, but there's genuine heart to yes. it in a way that, and like, I, I, I really want to fight for this film. And I will admit that part of me wanting to fight for this film is the fact that but, uh, not but, uh, Wonder Woman 2 tries to end on the same note right. and so utterly balks it that it is because Bill and Ted Face Music is a fucking effortless film. It is uh, in that it seems very slight, mm. but it has actually done a lot of the work. On the other hand, there's also Sound of Metal, which is fucking great. Tell me about Sound of Metal. So Sound of Metal is directed by a, I think like, I think a Danish filmmaker called Darius Marder, who has done a lot of work with the director Derek France, who made A Place Beyond the Pines, uh, stars Riz Ahmed as uh, as a drummer in a heavy in a heavy metal band. So it's him and Black Gammon. Black Gammon. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I was trying to I was trying to remember what the name is. But yeah, so yeah, so uh, he is a drummer in a band called Black Gammon, where it's him and a singer who's played by Olivia Cook. Uh, she from Ready Player One. Sure. From Thoroughbreds. <laughs> no, no, Ready Player One. That's her masterpiece. <laughs> They're traveling around in, in a in a van, uh, ha- having having smoothies. They're in a real nomad land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're playing playing some cool metal songs. They're uh, drink, drinking drinking like health smoothies, uh, and then partway through the tour, uh, uh, R- 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 Razamed uh, uh, starts to uh, he, Ruby he, Ruben. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. R- Ruben. Yeah, he wakes up one morning and finds that his hearing is fucked, and he uh, doesn't know what's going on. But over the course of a day, it gets worse. He goes to a pharmacy. They they direct him to a doctor, uh, to, to like an ear specialist, and. Yeah. Uh, he finds out that uh, his hearing is like is deteriorating rapidly. It's at that point because the thing that Dirk says is like you have thirty percent hearing yeah. right now, and it's just gonna go. And the director, not the director, the doctor is like, you have to make peace with the fact that your hearing is about to disappear almost entirely. Yeah. So instead of taking care of his hearing, like a um, like what what he has later, like a uh, like a person who isn't me would do. Yeah. Uh, uh, he 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 instead uh, goes and uh, pl- plays extra loud of a concert at night yeah and then the next day his hearing is just like fully gone yeah and, and the, the 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 whole film has uh, uh, an immersive sound design in that yeah. um for most of it you can only really hear what his level of hearing is and yeah. there are a couple of moments of juxtaposition where you cut outside of that to to hear what people who can hear can hear if yeah. that makes sense and he is also in recovery uh, for alcoholism i believe i thought it uh uh oh, heroin yeah yeah it was heroin, well no so. he uh, because uh the guy he the guy asked him like what drugs do you do and he's like all of them yeah uh, yeah 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 no, he's like in recovery for, for just like general uh which is like general gen- general addiction <laughs> and uh his sponsor finds him a rehab center for hearing impaired but people. he refuses to go hmm. uh and, and it's uh and uh lou his his girlfriend and, and partner olivia cook essentially forces him to go as he as his rage 
uh, his lack of hearing grows more and more. He starts yeah. smashing their instruments, uh, not their instruments, like their synthesizers and things like that. Um, in these uh, terrifying outbursts of entirely understandable rage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so he 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 go he goes to this uh, the, the, he he goes to this rehab center, which is run by uh, uh, run by uh, I, I can't remember the character's name, but the actor is a man called Paul Racy, who is a deaf actor, and like uh, no, he can hear, but his parents oh, really? are deaf, so he grew oh, okay. up in it almost everywhere. Um, Rez uh, uh, Rez and Paul are the two people in it who are the only two people in it who are quote unquote pretending to be deaf. Oh, okay. Um, Paul Racy can hear. But he has grown up. He grew up in communities like this. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, and they both a lot, especially in this sequence, a lot of communication on the set was done in sign language and right. things like that. Yeah. So he he runs this, this rehab center, and all of the other people at, at this uh, uh, center are, are played by actual deaf people. Yeah. And yeah, he. he well, I cannot he, remember the correct term, right. like hearing and or people with. Anyway, yeah. sorry. He has to like learn how to like be like a part of this community and not think of his hearing loss as a disability, but to, like learn to see himself as like, a full person, even though he doesn't have hearing anymore. Uh, and uh, and it goes great. Uh, mm. He quickly learns the lesson, and uh, and then the film ends yep. with him doing a sweet as drum solo. Oh, he teaches. Um, uh, he, as part of that, he's brought in to help. At there's an associated um, nearby a school. Uh, uh, for 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 deaf children, um, and there, there's a scene of him teaching them to drum. Yeah, and it is just oh man, it's so good. Yeah. It's so man, it's great. Uh, and, and and the plot develops, and everyone in it is a flawed character. It does. I I've read several reviews of this film that say that it, it, where it goes in its final act becomes soap operatic which I just totally disagree with because it just feels like the natural consequences of this character who we've met and grown really mm. attached to. And you're like, no, of course this is what he does in these situations. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, and it kind of breaks your heart I mean, like, in a lot it, of ways. I, 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 I could kind of understand like people feeling like, Oh, it's soap opera because like the middle 40 minutes of this movie is like so muted and it, yeah. it's just like, it, it, and then, and then he, he makes a decision that like puts him at odds with, with with the, with the people at the at the rehab clinic and and like there is this like this like amazing fucking scene between him and 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 Paul Racy where he is basically told like that he he has to leave and he doesn't have a place here anymore and I I I can understand someone seeing the race, see see like seeing this like heightening of emotions in that scene and like yeah but like. No, like yeah, no. It, it's it's to, it's totally it's totally earned, and it's not like over the top. Well, and, and because of the arc for his character is 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 the fact that um, he he he's in recovery for addic- for addiction to drugs, yeah. but he, he never went into recovery for being addicted to to playing music. Mm. Um, and yeah, where it goes is great. Matthew Almerick shows up, and he you're does. like, hey, from Quantum of Solace, <laughs> got that on Blu-ray for four dollars. That's precisely the right price <laughs> to pay for that, for that film. Uh, um, I'll say, and yeah, no, the the sound design is interesting. Uh, the it, it's on Prime Video, and on Prime Video, um, at least when I watched it, the subtitles are on by default throughout. Which um, I, I went on to read as was a decision by Darius 
Marta. A really interesting thing is that this is based or influenced by a, a real story. It was originally going to be a docudrama right. about a, a real couple this happens happened to. And like that both feels obvious and like a massive surprise. <laughs> In the film, if you know what I mean, yeah, um, and the it, it kind of feels so singular, and I think all three of the leads feel like such real characters that you're both like, no, but they're just they're just performances, a whole cloth. They don't feel like impressions of people because they're not because they've distanced it. Um, and Reza made learned American Sign Language mm. and and drumming. Yeah, like, him 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 and Olivia Cook play, played all those songs. Uh, yeah, it's good. I don't love this. I don't love their music. I mean, but like it's it's absolutely not your type of music. But uh, but like it is the fact that like the 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 the, the three or four times you see them perform mm. when you see them, uh, um, even if it, it's yeah, it's not my kind of music. Mm. But like the way it is shot and the energy of it and the performances of it. And it is, this is another film in the kind of neo-real verite yeah. style. And I think the thing that puts it over uh, never really, sometimes always in RSA uh, is that so much, it, it, it's not pretending to be objective. It's about being in, inside this yes, man's yeah. head in a lot of ways. Yeah, that sound design is, is, so, is so important to, to, to the film working. And so, like, yeah, so, 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 such an incredible choice, and like, it's it's done so effectively. Yeah, I, but Bill and Ted oh, made look, me cry. Fuck. Like, it's 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 hard to choose, right? But both both really good, really enjoyable films that are good in totally different ways and for totally different reasons. It is well, and it is the thing. Like looking at them, I'm like, Bill and Ted is the film I like more, but Sound of Metal is the film I know is better. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so, okay, okay, I. I want to put like I'm. I want to. I want to make a special award, which is the Youth Are Crying Award, which is man. Like there is, there's a bit where Keanu is Ted. They meet Bill and Ted meet their them old their old selves, yeah. and they get to have a moment with themselves. Uh, and Bill goes to old Bill and goes, "Oh hey man, it's so good to see <laughs> you." And they just throw out. And Ted goes to old Ted and says. I'm so sorry that I never truly got to know you. Yeah. And as what like <laughs> holy shit, that is like and like that is both entirely within the world of the film, but it's also not accidentally profound. It is like the way they demonstrate their love for each other is that they go to marriage therapy. But of course, they they both bring they bring each other and Gillian Bell is the marriage counselor is like so don't don't tell your wife you love them and it's just like sure i and ted love you <laughs> yeah. and it's a great joke yeah um but it is sound of like I, I, aware that this gives us that the this ranking is for, for both of us it it's sound of metal right yeah i mean like like yeah, I I I I also yeah, but both 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 great films. Yeah. And, I, and I will definitely be watching. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll probably watch like uh, Face Music more than I watch like Sound of Metal. Yeah. But like g- 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 going forward in my life, but yeah, I think for 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 the purposes of this right now, it's it's Sound of Metal. Well, uh, and like Sound of Metal has uh, uh, Riz, those three lead performances are incredible. 
incredible. Yeah. And like, uh, like every, like obviously Riz Ahmed is great. If if you don't think that's true, watch Four Lions or mm. or anything else he's in, um, or check out his work as a rapper, or just like fucking. I mean, except for Rogue One, where they changed his character on him. Yeah. Oh. Excuse us, Mr. Death, sir. It's good to see you again, Mr. Death, sir. It isn't little Bill and little Ted. We're still your hugest fans. Yeah. Oh, don't fudge with me. Best first film. My winner from last year coming out to, to present the award is, uh, it's of course, Daniel Lesovitz, the director of Port Authority. Okay. Um, uh, which is uh, a uh, very, like, a film that I am excited to see what they make next. Uh, and my nominees this year are Melina Matsukas for Queen and Slim. Oh, oh yeah. Promising Young Woman by Emerald Fennel. Swallow by... Carlo Mirabella Davis, The Assistant by Kitty Green, who has directed documentaries. It's her first feature. her first narrative feature. And Emma, Full Stop by Autumn DeWild. I, um... I'm like lo- looking through my my movies from last year for like what was the best first film and my my, my highest rated uh, debut feature was uh, 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 was was Scott Ackman for Between Two Ferns the movie which okay. isn't a well directed movie but it's a very funny enjoyable movie uh, and then I have to go down to like number thirty seven uh, for uh, for for Booksmart so I'm, I'm going to say Olivia Wilde for Booksmart is my best not first eighth film. grade ah. Uh... I'm mean, as a 2018. Uh, yeah, you are right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it, it, it would be both of them for but uh, but Olivia Wilde for number 37 on my list of last oh, year. Oh, wow. Happy to share the stage with Paddington. Yeah. Uh, and the nominees for best first film this year are Max Barbakov, uh, Palm Springs, Emerald Fennel, Promising Young Woman, Johan Johansson for Last and First Men, who's also his last and first film. <laughs> uh, Autumn DeWild for Emma, and my number one is Kitty Green for The Assistant. Now you do it. Louder. I'm I'm giving the win to Emma full stop Autumn DeWild. Fortune I do not want. Employment I do not want. Consequence I do not want. Because I uh, I am I think as we will discuss later, I think Kitty Green did a very good job directing The Assistant. I yeah. think they all did great jobs, yeah. but um, Autumn DeWilde is the person where I'm like, what the fuck are they going to do next? Oh, like, yeah, I yeah. cannot wait to see. I can, uh, For all five of these people, I think that is true. Uh, and this is the first time I've mentioned Swallow, which was the film that was the most on and off my list, right. um, which stars Hayley Bennett. It's very good and creepy. You specifically will like Swallow, but it's weird. And this is where we should talk about promising young woman which i think is the film i changed my mind the most on this year Mm. um and and was kind of the film that i think suffered the most from me being like 
from me obsessing about structure so looking at it and being like oh yeah okay cool you're making us think this so obviously you're going to do this um and so uh it rarely surprised me but when it surprised me yeah. holy shit and, and uh it take there are so many big swings in that film that the fact that they don't all land isn't actually that big of an issue yeah that is a film i was looking forward to for like six months and it was like it was kind of disappointing when i did see it but not because it's bad but just my expectations were so high i think emerald fennel does, does like a really good job almost every performance of that movie is is like at least like interesting and good and no i disagree with you on okay. that but you you finish it like, yeah it, it's a movie that's like basically like structured around like one scene performances yeah i like when movies do that and it was slightly less like intense and like uncompromising than, 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 than i wanted it to yeah, be yeah i think there are two major things working mm-hmm. against the film one is not within emerald fennel's control yeah. uh, and that is the fact that it is not the film that it is sold as yes um uh, it's not a roaring rampage of revenge uh, it, it, it's uh, it, it's and it's it's not a hyper color hyper pop single i went into it expecting it to kind of be like a dorian electra right, song yeah. um and, and it's not right. I, I expected it to be a dorian electra song and it's an lcd sound system song right and, and those aren't bad things and i i uh, think she uh, Fennel had the incredible idea, which is to fill uh, the cast with comedy performers yeah. who are um, really strong. Uh, uh, another great turn from Alison Brie, mm-hmm. Laverne Cox doing career best work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, Bo Burnham, uh, you know, I love Bo Burnham, but it, uh, as a director, but you're like, oh, I do love you as a performer too. Uh, and Carrie Mulligan is a strong actress mm-hmm. who has made a lot of work that I genuinely love. Her yeah. and Never Let Me Go is incredible. I do not think she fully succeeds as a promising young woman and promising young woman. No. Um, and, and it is the fact that surrounding her with comedy performers means that it should be a film about this uncompromising force blasting through things. And it is that that every if every scene in the film is a fight, and it is, she should win or draw all of them. Uh, in terms of like acting fights right yeah and and i think she loses quite a few Mm. of them do you know what i mean um and and that and that is because i think there is a version of this film with carrie mulligan in the lead that is great i don't think it's the version of the film where the cast is all comedians and i think this is the kind of film where you want swap carrie mulligan and alison brie in this cast i think that aubrey plaza could could do could do this role really really well Yes. Um, but yes, good film. Yeah. Heat number six to five bloods versus the invisible man. There's five of them and they're bloody. It's the five bloods. Da five da blood. five bloods. This is oh, I don't so it's, uh, the 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 second film in in uh, in, in in Spike Lee's The Blood trilogy. <laughs> the first one was of course The Sweet Blood of Jesus. <laughs> um, um, I think another film that has Da and Blood in the title. <laughs> um, and, and didn't see this one coming. That's right. 
to the Invisible Man by Ooh. Lee Winnell. Baby. That's right. From the man that brought you Insidious 2. And Upgrade. And let's focus on Insidious 2. Let's focus no. on his writing credit on the Saw movies. Yeah. He's, he's the guy who came up with the idea. Yeah. So uh, he's an Australian, but we won't hold that again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Five Bloods is uh, a bizarre cavalcade, like uh, um, uh, a, a casserole of a film. There are so many elements. It is it is the film in the second most aspect ratios that <laughs> that that we watched. And the other entry on that list is Small Axe, which is actually five <laughs> films. Um, it, it's the tale of four uh, friends, um, uh, four African American men who fought in Vietnam, and while they were there with with their leader, um, played by Chadwick Boseman, Chadwick Boseman, during a battle, they found a bunch of gold, and they buried that gold, and now they are back to find Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman's body and put it to rest, and and to and to finally get their gold out of Vietnam and become rich uh, and uh, it's um it stars delroy lindo jonathan majors clark peters norm lewis and isaiah whitelock uh the the five bloods uh, uh, of the name with chadwick boseman being a previous mm-hmm. fifth blood because uh, delroy lindo character's son joins and that's jonathan majors mm-hmm. they have a tempestuous relationship they according do. to wikipedia um uh, but it is a, 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 it's a war film uh, it's a it's a character comedy drama it's a travelogue there are bits with john reno turning up um and it it, it feels the most like a manic episode yeah it, it, it is it, it is such a spike lee film in, in that like it is it is the best and worst of of, of what he does i think oh, but like, mainly it, the best oh, no, like, like, yeah like, like i i also really like the five bloods and i think the five bloods and i think there's a lot of great stuff in it but like it has that spike lee problem that his movies have sometimes where it's just like he is trying to do so much stuff, but I know, that like, feel and, and like no, and like that, 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 that's like a positive about about his yeah. about his style of filmmaking a lot of the time. But I think also sometimes he's just trying to do so many different things that they, they like don't all cohere. Uh, and I think the fact that they don't like it rapidly shifts in yeah. style, sometimes within scenes, yeah. sometimes from shot <laughs> to shot. Um, but I think whatever he is doing for any individual moment is the right way to play that moment. Right. Uh, and whatever, uh, uh, and the fact that it feels kind of uh, relentless and then just very quickly, like there are scenes, there are scenes in it that are a war film and have this just horrific, heartbreaking violence. Yeah. And it, it, when you, when you flash back to the Vietnam War, it is shot like a Vietnam War film. It is 16 mil. Academy Ratio, another of our Academy Ratio films uh, on the list. But then there are bits where it turns into an action film where they're taking out bad guys and then like splat stick, people just stepping on mines left, right and center. Yeah. And, and then it's, it's, at some point there are like a few scenes of, of a man like reconnecting with a woman he knew 30 years ago. Yeah. And, oh, and it, it's all kind of beautiful and it's nice that um uh millie uh melanie terry paul walter hauser jasper parkinen show up uh, as these mind sweepers oh, yeah, and so yeah. it is just kind of like it is 
Yeah, I, I always love. I, I always love him when 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 Paul Walter Hauser gets some work. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's so fucking good. And uh, and there is just something about the brightness of it, and the fact it is like he 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 gets genre, and oh yeah, I and 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 I uh, there is another film uh, further down the heats that I will. Uh, uh, say this more strongly right. about but i was in the exact right state of mind to watch this film when i did which is that i'd had a bit too much coffee and i was a bit touchy, and i was ready to just really fuck with something yeah. you know and i think this really ends but also the key thing for me about it um apart from uh, uh the fact that like even without the mythic fact that this film came out and then like a week later we learned that Chadwick Boseman had so tragically died. Yes. Yeah. And this is a film where he is probably in ooh, four minutes of it. Like he shot a week. Mm, um, okay. uh, not like, you know, as an approximation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as this kind of holy figure in the past uh, uh, and, and the circumstances around his death are a big question mark that the film explores. But that having that performance, which is just kind of as this idea of a man who who educates them uh, on the struggle, on the rights, converts them to socialism, and like of course one of the great betrayals of the film and uh, is that Delroy Lindo's character is now Trump supporter because. Yeah. Um, he's had a tough life and the fact that this film makes me weep for a trump supporter later on is 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 incredible but that that it is his second to last film adds a real aura of magic to it because and it's also like a triumph casting and thing i think i've said before on the podcast but i think that really struck me is that yeah this is this film is about four old ragged black men who've not had good lives and it's not been kind to them um uh, uh in a lot of ways and uh, you know they're all in their 60s or 70s oh jonathan Major, not jonathan majors um norm lewis is surprisingly young i think right but but they're not the hot stars of a film but because spike lee loves these characters so much and he shoots them with such love they just they're so charismatic and they're so hot throughout this film and i think that's a that's a real achievement yeah um and it, there are some funny bits where people have like things over their eyes and they accidentally run onto a mine and die <laughs> it's pretty funny the invisible man yeah written and directed by lee Wanell. it's a blumhouse he he is like, one of the co-creators of of saw and a lot to do with, with the insidious series branched out on his own upgrade a couple of years ago yeah uh which uh rules yeah and it's fucking if you've not like the the key not, th- not, not to steal someone else's bit like but upgrade fucks yeah <laughs> but in the key thing to know about upgrade is that uh, upgrade came out in 2018 uh, and and my joke is imagine working on venom and knowing you didn't even work on the best venom yeah. film to come out in 2018 with a guy who looks exactly like tom hardy oh it, and it's not like upgrade looks like a horror film mm. but it's an action film yeah uh, anyway check it out check out upgrade yeah, so uh, uh, with, with with the Invisible Man, he, he he decided to go like more into like more, more into the sort of like a classic horror movie sort 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 sort, sort of mode after the, the like dark universe sort of collapsed and and uh, no, no 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 it's still it's it's if you go to like darkuniverse.com, sure. that photo of all of them that's sure. still there 
but uh, so uh, after like you know those movies didn't do so great but uh, so uh, <laughs> no that's not yeah. not no. an entertaining bit so uh, uh, so uh, uh, so lee 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 Winnell was like approached about doing uh, doing like a dark universe movie and he was like, okay, cool. I want to do Viv Mismore Man and I want to make it uh, not part of a dark universe. I just want to make like a, I want to do like a modern version of the Invisible Man and make it a horror movie. Well, and make it, uh, uh, um, and make it not about the Invisible Man. Right, yeah. Make it about make, make, make it about someone who's being who's being hunted by an Invisible Man. Well, and, and not because this is like it is a horror film, but it's a film about uh, uh, um, abusive relationships, yes. and, and that sounds like a, like the director of Upgrade making a film about abusive relationships and it being the Invisible Man is ridiculous. But the genius thing he landed on is that like the invisible man who's there even when he's not yeah it's 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 an incredible metaphor uh, and it appropriately holds the weight yes uh of that uh elizabeth moss's central performance oh yeah it, it, well even though every performance yeah. in it is great there, there are so many times where, like horror movies try to be like about issues yeah. and they often fucking suck because of it because because a, a lot of horror filmmakers aren't smart enough to, to like write about actually like impactful things in a in a way that does them justice the like main difference between between the like, upgrade and the invisible man is upgrade is very happy being kind of like exploitation-y kind of b-movie trash yeah no, and, like, it, which is exactly what it's supposed to be it just wants and to it, kick ass yeah. and it does yeah for the invisible man he like gets rid of like all of that sort of stuff it it, it doesn't but mostly like, and to be clear i think the bits where it happens yeah. are good are yeah. good and help the film yes but yeah like it 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 it, it doesn't do any of the things you expect like a, a horror movie about an invisible uh, a horror movie about an abusive relationship to 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 do well um uh the and so much of that comes from him tr- him realizing it's a good idea the 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 reason i will later nominate it for best script is because it is is one of the rare films where both the plot and metaphor track perfectly across every event yeah. uh, uh, that happens but is that he this is uh, i mean this is a blumhouse film they probably made it for five or ten million dollars yeah. But uh, there are multiple stories, both from him and from other people who work on the film, about multiple times where he was like, okay, we're going to do this shot. Um, it's them making breakfast. Then they're going to leave the shot and we're going to leave it running just on some eggs cooking for about 20 seconds. And people being like, but you want to get other coverage, right? And him being like, no, 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 no. This film is called The Invisible Man. The audience will spend those 20 minutes, yeah. those 20 seconds searching that frame being like, where is he? So much of this film has just slightly odd framing. And you're like, why does this look odd? And you go like, oh, because that means he's there. Or is he there? Yeah. And it, dr- like it gets su- into such, your head. Such incredible use of, 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 of empty space in this movie. Oh, mate. Like, this, this is like, I think this is like the first horror movie I've seen since since like It Follows, which, which like infused the cinematography into the storytelling like so so effectively, and yep. it's like its use of space. I you know it's it's and, and also it just fucking rules as a horror movie. It is yeah. it is so fucking tense the entire time, and like when like actual scary shit happens, it is terrifying. The 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 um uh the jump scare on the ladder yeah. in it is my favorite jump scare in anything. Yeah, and I'll admit I'm not a I'm not a jump scare connoisseur. And, the, 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 and the, there is a scene in a restaurant which will just fucking ruin you um uh, uh and 
uh, I'm sure we will discuss it more because it felt like Invisible Man yeah. out of these two. But the thing I want to say now, because I don't want to just harp on it next time we talk right. about it, is that there are, again, multiple reviews of this. Like, oh, good. The plot doesn't quite hang together. Uh, they're wrong. Uh, uh, I, I rewatched it very recently. The plot of this film entirely tracks. They are just forgetting that the, the, the final twist of the film which which i don't want no not the final twist yeah. not the not the not the not the the last scene but there there is a secondary reveal about the nature of the invisible man yeah. just apply that retroactively and think oh if anyway yeah. it all lands together defy bloods is great it's on netflix what um watch defy bloods yeah um we've not put either of spike lee's two films from this year through but spike lee is one of the like best living directors and he's like when, when when he wants to be, he's a fucking master. Uh, and that he made both of those films yeah. uh, th- this year and that they both speak to this moment in such a way and are both him adapting other material um, because uh, uh, Defive Bloods were, was a script um, about, fi- about five white men <laughs> d- doing it and, and just shows that how uh, urgent and like he has always been on the money about speaking to the modern world yeah. and he he still has it and anyone who can make american utopia the five bloods and also have one of the stages at taylor perry's atlanta complex of studios named after him is like <laughs> fuck fuck he's cool and, and like if i had probably thought like doing this last year or the year before I would Black Klansman would yeah, be so yeah. check check the check Black Klansman out. I was asleep. I mean, I was fast asleep, knocked out, man. God woke me. I said, God, God, why are you waking my black ass up? God said to me, Paul, fuck them motherfuckers. Keep on keeping on. Best supporting actress. But now, oh, Paddington, welcoming to the stage. Uh, my winner last year for Best Supporting Actress. That's right. Doing kicks, doing flips. She's a crouching tiger, hidden dragon. It's Michelle Yeoh from both Crazy Rich Asians and Last Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> She's great in both. I love Michelle Yeoh. I think uh, uh, Crazy Rich Angels that it succeeds as a romantic comedy when your leads are ostensibly Constance Wu and Henry Golding. Henry Golding, who I like. Um, uh, who's a very handsome man. Who's a very handsome man. Is because that film is really about the romance between Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh yeah. and that Michelle Yeoh manages to have uh, chemistry with Constance Wu is the Jennifer Lopez should have gotten an Oscar for Hustlers thing. Um uh, and my nominees are oh we should also flag um the 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 gender binary is a fucking lie um and, and uh segregating actors by gender in any situation other than awards is bullshit um it it is uh just we get to talk about more people yeah uh my nominees for best supporting actress are Daisy May Cooper in the personal history of David Copperfield Morford Clark in the personal history of David Copperfield, Mary Holland in Happiest Season, Mary Elizabeth Winstead in Birds of Prey, and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, Rachel House in Soul. And my winner, and the best performance in a bad film this year, Kristen Wiig (laughs) in Wonder Woman 1984. 
Right. Have a nice day. But those are cool. I like those. Animal print. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to get lunch? I, um... I, I'm I, not now, obviously. <laughs> it's morning, but later today or whenever, like around, like, lunchtime. I have a lot of work today. But maybe some other time? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I'm busy Great. today, too. Oh. Ah, Diana, do you happen to know who a Barbara Minerva is? Oh, hi, Carol. Hi. It's me. I'm Barbara. Remember you, you hired me? You, like, the... That film makes many missteps, but the most telling one is uh, she she starts as a meek nerd and becomes an incredibly powerful, self-assured cat woman. <laughs> uh, and my experience of watching that film was like, uh, 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 it makes many mistakes, but one is attempting, you could, just by putting heroic music under Kristen Wiig and changing like one line in one scene, make her the hero of the <laughs> film so like there's a scene like a man harasses her because yeah. uh, obviously yeah. uh and then later when she's all powered up she sees him again uh and uh beats him up and you're like fuck yeah <laughs> but the film is all sinister and you're like why she's doing what batman does to pickpockets right, all yeah. the time and she, like she is she is the peak of a comic book performance and that it's big and bright, but in the scenes where she's charming and funny, she's charming and funny. And right. in the scenes where she's supposed to be a powerful superhero, she's a charming and funny superhero. And there, yeah, it, it, it's great. And uh, the only problem with it is that it's in that film. And the major problem that causes is that she's constantly in scenes with Gal Gadot where you're just like, come on, Gal. <laughs> raise your game and i would I, I i will not repeat this routine for pedro pascal's performance but i could easily do a similar right. thing that that is a, a, a comfortably a two-star film but wig and pascal two thumbs up my one from last year was park so dumb from parasite oh yeah parasite got my ensemble award yeah yeah there's a lot of good ensembles last year um, yeah, but uh, yeah. parasite. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so uh, my my five this year are Natsuki Kawamura from The Forest of Love Deep Cut. She is the woman who played Aiko. Yep. Number four, Elson Brie from Promising Young Woman. Uh, number three, Talia Ryder from Never Really, Sometimes, Always. Number two, Molly Shannon from Horse Girl. And uh, number one, my favorite supporting actress performance of the year is Elizabeth Moss in Shirley. Look for anything with. Fertility, maternity, full moon in the title. All right. I'm a witch. Didn't anyone tell you? Oh, so you're, that's you making the call that she's not the lead of that. No, she, she's obviously not the lead of that. Oh, I just do not buy Odessa Clark as, yeah, I, I, as we will get to, I think, maybe next. Oh, no, in, in a little bit. Yeah, love Elizabeth Moss and, and, and Shirley. She's really good at playing uh, like a uh, a person who just seems uh, absolutely out of their mind, but also kind of seems saner than everyone else. Yeah, I, um, yeah. I just didn't. I was like, I got that, and then there was 90 minutes more film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's, not, yeah. that's not her performance fault. It, it was just like, yeah, I just... But, uh, Elizabeth Moss is definitely my favorite Scientologist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, no, but she, like, and she's in most scenes in that film. She she is, yeah. No, yeah. She, she, she's supporting, though. Yeah, no, if, we get, if we're not going to do, like, Academy Rules bullshit, then they'll campaign her as a lead yeah. when they should campaign her for fucking Invisible Man. Um, but, yeah, no, so 
Yeah, um, and I just want to flat uh, uh, Morford Clark and uh, personal history. Uh, it was only the second time I noticed that she played both the mother and the girlfriend, even though they are clearly identical. <laughs> and the film stresses that several times. Right. And the performances are very similar. It's very good. And Mary Holland in Happiest Season is... Uh, the, she, she's she's so fun in she's that. So, she's so fun. And also, like, she co-wrote that film. Oh, really? But did not give herself lots of great jokes. <laughs> she just gave herself one great scene, and she fucking nails yeah. that scene. And it's just the best ever of a um complete the thought brain uh middle child right yeah. uh, 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 i've ever possibly seen oh, there's also uh, one, 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 uh, one other thing the happier season is uh, 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 a film I, we've talked about a surprising uh, amount. I, 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 i'd like to give a belated uh, shout out in the best onesie performance category to both lauren lapkus and timothy simmons as the more security guards <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, they're, they're on screen for like 30 seconds and they are both incredibly funny Heat number seven, Possessor versus Tenet. Two films that are all style with no substance, <laughs> head to head. Oh no! Okay, so you 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 you're, you're going to take Tenet. I'll take Possessor. Yeah, I have yeah. seen Tenet four times this year, three uh, times I, in IMAX. I, I've, seen, I've only seen it twice in IMAX, okay. like a loser. Uh, <laughs> I, I, man, here is the thing. And I have watched, I have now, I, I now, of course, own Tenant. Yeah. Uh, it, it's tattooed on my body. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. <laughs> he just did the Tenant hand gesture. I've been religiously watching all of the YouTube videos they're putting up to promote the release <laughs> in, uh, in, in India. Um, and now, this is the thing. Christopher Nolan, uh, his reputation is the heartless man who thinks he's smarter than everyone uh, and is making films that think they're so smart. Yeah. But uh, no, he is making films that want to kick ass and they fucking kick yeah, he, ass. And the two films times he's tried to make films that are actually smart, which is Interstellar and Dark Knight 3 and The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Marion Cotillard. <laughs> Um, have been failures, and man, I just every action beat and tenant thrills me. Yeah. And I have seen each of them four times, it, and each thrills me equally each time. It's such a, it's such an incredibly fucking fun movie, and yeah, like I, I, I just saw someone on like on a uh, on on one of the uh, film poster groups and be like, hey, everyone, let's see your like your list of like worst movies of the year. They put tenant as number one. Like, what do you go to movies for if Tenet is the worst thing you saw this year? And it is the apotheosis of $200 million sci-fi blockbusters. It's just two and a half hours of pure fucking nonsense fun. Yes, absolutely. And, and like, there was, like, the major response from a lot of people whose opinions I respect and people I like being like, oh, you can't hear what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and I've now watched that film with subtitles. All the lines you can't hear don't matter. <laughs> they, they genuinely don't. Yeah. So it is, like, all the muffled lines are things like he points and says go over there uh, and then the guy goes over there which when you're watching the film you're going to say like oh he said something like go over there like yeah at, and it, it, it is visual filmmaking at its peak yes. it is uh, uh i i i think it's greatest tragedy i think uh, as much as Christopher Nolan should not have pushed it to be released this year, and he is kind of reaping the whirlwind of the Warner Brothers thing, but I'm happy they might give June an early release window anyway. Um, the IMAX sequences in IMAX, shot on IMAX film, 
uh, and Hoyt Van Hoytemer yeah. uh, shooting them and shooting them wide open. Uh, it just, oh, I just have not I've felt adrenaline surge through yeah, no. my body. Same. It's, 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 it's oh God. I just, it just fucking whips. But, and I, and it, f- and it feels like people going to it and being like, it doesn't make sense is like, A, it absolutely makes sense. The key thing that's happening is that after Inception, um, the discourse was people being like, oh, yeah, but it's too busy telling you how clever it is uh, and explaining stuff. And so now if, instead of explaining things twice like he did in Inception, he explains everything once and it all holds. It all works. I've drawn diagrams. <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up. All you need to understand is the words temporal pincer movement. Once you get that, the whole thing makes sense. I, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh. yes. The other thing I want to flag that I like about Tenon is that he's finally Debicki. He's finally given a, a a a woman character like an arc and things of interest to do. And admittedly, there are still only three women with speaking roles in the film. Yeah. But uh, uh, and, like she has an arc, she gets action beats, she gets to finish that. She gets to finish. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. She she gets to throw Kenneth Browner off a boat. Uh, and but <laughs> but but his body lands and bounces off a rail. It's, it's so, so gross. gnarly. And uh. this is a film where you're like, is this good? And then Himish Patel turns up for a scene to steal a plane and you're like <laughs> and crash it into a building, a thing they really did. And you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. This is what the Lumia brothers were talking about, yeah, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. And it, it's is what Georges Milliers was all about. Well, and the the lead relationship is John David Washington doing drag action hero performative masculinity opposite Robert Pattinson flirting with him as Christopher, as what's his name? Who you love? Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens. I wanted to say Christopher Dawker. Is <laughs> opposite him, and that both of those are equally compelling. Ah, uh, ah, uh, 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 so possessor. <laughs> So, Possessor. Cronenberg Jr. Yes. So, here's here's my thing about Possessor. Yeah. Uh, it looks incredible. It's super gross. Yeah. Right? And I do not disagree yeah, with either yeah. of those things. And, and so, this year, I've been trying to watch more of, like, David Cronenberg stuff. And I, I saw his, his first two, kind of, like, major features, which are Shivers and Rabbit. And in those movies, he has, like, he's figured out what his themes are. He knows exactly what movies he's, he's trying to make. And he has he has good ideas for, for, like, for like, horror beats around those themes. Uh, but he he's not figured out his craft fully, and so those movies are kind of like lumpy and 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 kind of slow at points, and they don't don't always look that good. But like he's he's so dialed into what his movies are about, and I've, I think that Brandon Cronenberg has the exact opposite problem. I haven't seen his first movie, Antiviral, yet. But, but like, I've heard very positive things yeah, about it. I've no, not same. seen it either. Yeah. yeah. So like with Possessor, I think he understands. So, and, and to be clear, we're because we have a good ratings and censorship agency. We are talking about the film that is more widely discussed as Possessor Uncut. Yes, but it, it's just Possessor. Yeah. So yeah. So with with, with Brandon Cronenberg, I think he's he has the exact opposite problem. Where like the the the, the, the craft of what he is doing is at an incredibly high level for someone like on their second film. Yeah, but, and like it helps that his dad is yes yeah. David Cronenberg. Yeah. yeah, but but yeah, like he 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 he. He he has a lot of good ideas for what he wants his film to be about. Yep. So Possessor is about corporate assassins who can take over people's brains and and have their bodies and use them to like get close to people and kill them. And it's sweet as yeah. And, and the, the, I mean, it's very morally gray, <laughs> harrowing, and confronting as well. Yeah. A large portion of the movie involves the main character played by Andrew Riseborough as 
Tazia Voss. <laughs> good, oh, good name. Yeah. Good <sighs> name. So uh, uh, she she takes over she takes over the brain of Christopher Abbott, uh, uh, who is the boyfriend of Tuppence Middleton, who yeah. is the daughter of Sean Bean, who is like a a technology magnate. Yeah, he, he he runs a like he he runs a a company that is explicitly for data mining. Yeah, he 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 runs a data it, mining it, company. I, what is it, it? It, it? It's some sort of like Siri thing, but but everyone knows it's stealing their no, data. But it's a, Christopher Abbott works. At this company, Sean Bean has like, Zoo Through, Zoo Through which right, is, yes. um, I think it's a Palantir riff. So Sean Bean has has basically given his daughter's boyfriend this like low level menial job at his company, just like fuck with him because he doesn't like his daughter's boyfriend. Yeah. So Christopher Abbott's character, his job all day is just to sit in a fucking room with like VR goggles on and just and look through people's um and they's like and like just like look inside people's homes through their Zoo Through devices and like look at like what curtains they have. Or like, look, well, he's did, training a neural net, right? To, right yeah. uh, like how when you prove to a computer you're a person yeah, by clicking yeah. on the traffic lights, and, he's and he's doing this so that like they, they can be like marketed to more effectively yeah. and stuff, and and like this 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 stuff is never quite fleshed out enough. But like it, it there there is like it, yeah. it, it, it there there is a lot of like there is a lot of like interesting baseline ideas there about about like privacy and surveillance and and yeah. and, and and how like corporations steal our data and all that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, no, yeah. like the first half of the film is building up the set of themes uh, and ideas uh, uh, around a plot. And then the second half of the film is about solving the plot, kind of leaving the ideas where they are. Yeah. Like the ultimate solution to the puzzle box of the plot. Uh, it's not really a puzzle box, but like the 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 way the plot resolves speaks in no way to the themes of the film. Yeah. Well, and I, I think like well, it doesn't advance her. Uh, yeah. You know. And I think like part of the reason for that is like by the end of the film, the lead character she doesn't care about any of that stuff. Yeah. This is a movie about about her sense of self just being kind of totally destroyed until yeah. she is kind of a blank slate. But by by the end of the film, but everything you just said yeah. is, is true about Invisible Man. But themes sure. and plot are still advanced. Yeah. At, uh, at, at the same rate. I I, I I think I think that's I think that's totally fair. Yeah, but yeah. I I, I again I, possess a whips yeah. and it passes the key test of all cinema, which is if you looked at any individual frame from this film, you'd be like that is absolutely from Possessor. Yeah, the main thing I love about it is just like how fucking hard it goes from the very first scene where Andrew Reiser takes over Gabriel Graham and uses her to stab a man to death yeah. to the uh, final scene in, in, inside Andrew Reiser's home yeah. with her husband and son like everything about that movie just goes so fucking hard and it gets so fucking gross yeah. and it does things that no other director is going to get like this sort of a budget to do but it, and it never f- oh, I don't know why but again I'm a screenish person yeah. and this is a body horror yes. gory film but it never like. Well, yeah. Also, like that, that, that's what one of the things I love about the movie is it's it's never trying to look like realistic, really. Yeah. It oh, is. Yeah. It, it is. It is showing you like horrific bodies being disfigured and destroyed, but it is it is doing it like in a way that's just artificial enough that you can like have that sort of like artistic like distance from it, and so you 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 are you are just appreciating it as like an artistic object, and you're never being like. Oh, I, I kind of, I'm kind of worried about that person now. Yeah, you know, like it, or yeah, it, it, it never feels like too, it never feels too like real. In kind of like the opposite way to to, to Forest of Love, yeah. In, in some ways, though, uh, we, when we circle back around to Forest of Love, and uh, I do have more thoughts on that. But yeah, no, I think this is a film that is all style, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. But the fact that it reaches 
so deep for thought so early on that, that I feel like it kind of, I feel like there are a few small changes you can make to this film in regards to like how it expresses theme and how it resolves plot that could just keep ideas moving along through yeah. it slightly better. But man, it, like it, if a film that has to have an uncut version and like, just look at the poster. <laughs> like if that looks like it calls to you, it definitely it does. Yeah. Like, and it, 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 it's, it's one of those movies where you can like see the poster and be like, mm, I bet it doesn't live up to that poster. But like when, when it gets to the stuff with that mask, that's on the poster, you're never going to forget that fucking mask. No. Um, oh man. Well, it's, it's in the image for this episode. Yeah. Uh, such, such a good mask. Uh, it is shit. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Really? Okay. So here's something like I'm. I'm. I'm fine putting either one through. Uh. So am I. Yeah. Though. yeah. I kind of want to put both. Yeah. Yeah. Part so, of me is like I wish we lived in a world where we ended up with this as the final. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no. But and, and, yeah. So like, my 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 sort of thing is like for me and like what I want out of movies. Both of these movies are like an eight out of ten. Tenet is like working at its absolute peak, and Possessor is like flawed, but but I but I still love it. Yeah. I just don't. I, I also. Oh. I, I mean, I, I think just because like we both multiple times saw Tenet and IMAX, we might, it, it, we might, we should just put Tenet through. Yeah, no, I, yeah. like that. I just it is like there is an indescribable thing where I'm like, I, I, I'm a Tenet stan. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm a bit, bit, This is and always has been a pro Tenet podcast. <laughs> yeah. Next. This is also mine. Uh, I killed and mounted it one summer when I was a girl, and then I felt guilty about it. I still feel guilty about it. Very good. Best Supporting Actor So walking out onto that stage. Who's that? It's Santa himself, that's right. Santa himself, it's Nick Frost from Fighting With My Family. My nominees are Shinosuke Mitsushima in The Forest of Love, Deep Cut, Michael Stuhlbarg in Shirley, Willem Dafoe in That Bright House, Aldous Hodge in The Invisible Man, and Nick Sampson in Baby Done. (laughs) (laughs) and there are many good things in the run for best joke of the year but um nick sampson meekly standing outside a baby factory and saying (laughs) i'm not allowed in there (laughs) incredible Uh, joke uh, incredible joke but uh, and shinosuke mitsushima uh, is very much a lead supporting role um and that he's could he's so no stand in uh uh, in the film and and has the character with the the longest and most interesting arc in some ways um but i as we're about to talk about i love i thinking i'm thinking of ending things and i think the one way the one change you could make to that film to almost immediately make it bad would be to not have a performance as good as guy boyd's as the janitor oh right yes yeah what's your boyfriend looking at yeah, no, he does the yeah the good 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 janitor. Yeah, um, yeah, he does does good. Who's real good at watching things? I, I, I just rewatched his his scene with Jesse Buckley earlier today. Beautiful, exquisite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, and Aldous Hodge, 
uh, in the Invisible Man uh, is, is the friend whose house right, she, yes, yes. she lives in, um, and, and it is uh, there. Are, there are multiple scenes in that where his arc is very much uh, the person who has to turn against her as she is driven insane, and he makes so many decisions within that arc so that you're absolutely like, oh no, I entirely understand yes. why you're behaving that way. When that character could so easily just be like, oh, the film needs me to not like you anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's great. And um, I think Michael Stuhlberg and Shirley is is very good. My winner from last year. It was a fucking stacked category last year. Yeah. I'm going to uh, make a call right now. My, my winner from last year was Joe Pesci for The Irishman. Oh, yeah. Like, just a, just a fucking beautiful performance. He's so fucking good at it. He's him and Pacino and De Niro are all, do, are all doing like some of their best work ever in that movie. And I, uh, I uh, appreciate and enjoy that film, mm. which is a good film more than I think I like it. Right? If you know yeah. what I mean. So uh, Joe Pesci is uh, tottering out onto the stage. <laughs> uh, Nick Frost, <laughs> the lo- lovely man that he is, goes over, helps him across the stage. Yeah. Paddington, of course, cannot leave his hologram booth. <laughs> So this this is a this, this is like also a tough category for me this year. I've got I've got ten written down here, so I'm gonna have to make a decision right now. Yeah, no, just give it. We don't we don't necessarily we don't okay. have to have a. My ten are Richard Jenkins in Kajillionaire, Giancarlo Esposito in Unpregnant, Robert Pattinson in Tenet, Kevin Bursdorf in Build the Wall, Dan Stevens Eurovision Song Contest: The Story of Fire Saga, Paul Racy uh, Sound of Metal, Bo Burnham Promising Young Woman, Colin Farrell The Gentleman. Uh, Young Des, the Forest of Love Deep Cut. He's the guy who plays Jay. Mm-hmm. And my number one is Michael Stuhlbarg for Shirley. Your book is brilliant, darling. <sighs> Fucking gorgeous. I don't know how you did it. I have a few notes, of course. Yeah, he's, he's good. Yeah, he, he when I started watching that movie, I was like, oh, okay, he's doing his thing from Call Me By Your Name. He's just yeah. the kind of like, he's just the kind of like nice, older, like academic. Yeah. And then as that movie goes on, he he gets so like slimy and and like creepy, but like always just like, there's no character this year that has made me like, feel so uninspired to continue um, my, my to, to like continue in academia yeah. as that depiction of male academics and specifically like Stuhlbach. Um, I think it's such a such a smart performance that like uses all the things that people love about him and 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 just and just like totally like and to, 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 totally subverts them. Heat number eight I'm thinking of ending things versus Shirley. And my main argument against Shirley is that from everything you've just said, I had the thought of how much I would like to see the director and cast of Shirley make uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Right, yeah. And I would much rather see that than Shirley, a film that spends a lot of time telling you how good Shirley Jackson is. And you're like, great. And to be clear, Shirley Jackson, like, it, it's just, it's it, it's the, it has the mank problem of i feel like it tr- for me mm. in that it, it, it gets a lot of right out of being like hey trouble but kind of great right and and it does a better job at finding actual flaws yeah but even then yeah and i yeah 
yeah. that dream. But so, so to start competitive, defend Shirley to me. I think if Shirley's going going up against, I'm thinking of ending things. I, I think I'm thinking of ending things as as as, as the winner. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Part, part of my problem is like, it's been like three months since I've seen like any of these movies, basically, <laughs> and I I don't think I'd be able to to defend Shirley as well as I want to be able to defend it. My main thing with Shirley is I just, I I love those fucking performances from 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 Moss and Stuhlbarg. I love the atmosphere of, of the film. I, I, I think they're like I think that Josephine Decker is is a is a really promising is a really promising director. Yeah, and I'm I'm Absolutely. I'm excited to see what it, what like anything else she does. Like story story wise, yeah, like sure, I pretty much agree with you. And that is very much a, a like actors movie for for, for 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 me. Oh yeah, and like they get past it. Yeah, I'm thinking of ending things is oh let's talk more about Shirley because this is our chance. Okay. Uh, I think. Uh, um uh so uh two new kids in town. I can't remember which town. Um no it's some, some like college town I think in, in the south somewhere. Yeah. Kind of looking for work. Yeah. Essentially end up as the live in help in, in Shirley Jackson's house. Yeah. So the husband uh, played by Logan Lerman mm-hmm. is uh, has just completed his like Masters. Prince Caspian himself. No. Wasn't he? No. What are you talking about? That was a totally different guy. You're right. I don't yeah. know what I was... Th- oh, I'm thinking of Percy Jackson. Yeah, he's Percy yeah. Jackson. But yeah, so it, it, it is Logan Lerman as a husband and Odessa Young uh, as wife. Logan Lerman has just completed his Masters and now he's mo- moving down to this like college town to work with Michael Stuhlbarg. His degree is in like, is in, like musicology, right? Yeah. 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 So Michael Stuhlbarg is a professor of musicology and he is married to the uh, to, to the author Shirley Jackson. And uh let me let me tell you something about Shirley. She's a bit nutso. Yeah, she she's crazy. She she's bedridden, she's uh, yelling at people. Uh, she's, writing she's... seems to genuinely cause her physical pain, yeah. which is something I had never really seen represented in a film before, and I was like, <laughs> Okay, great. I'm glad I'm glad I'm not alone in this. <laughs> Yeah, and so they basically get to like live there for free, except for the fact that Odessa Young is basically turned into the, the like household servant. Yeah, and uh, while like Logan Lerman goes off with Michael Stuhlbarg to college every day, and uh, they lead the lives of intellectuals who believe that because they are intellectuals, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, they're monstrous. Yeah, and their like monstrousness is is revealed more and more as as the film goes on, and and it's it's about Logan Lerman's character being be, being like corrupted by Michael Stuhlbarg's character, yeah. and at the same time, Odessa Young comes to like understand herself better as, as an individual outside of outside of her marriage, uh, but by by hanging around uh, Shirley Jackson and seeing what a what a wild free spirit she is. But, but like, it, it yeah. is better than that yeah, sounds, yeah. 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 I just love any any movie about about how male academics are scumbags. That was it for me. Oh, it's it's got this like dreamy kind of like atmosphere to it. Yeah, and at times the editing gets like kind of like weird and weird and like elliptical. And I don't know, it's just nice. Yeah, I don't, I yeah. don't, I don't disagree with anything yeah. you just said. Um, I, I just, I just didn't love it. Uh, I, I, I'm uh, thinking of ending things. Is sound? <laughs> yeah, it's sound. Yeah, like it. it, it um, so like, uh, I, so, yeah, I'm so just. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of ending things. Was the only movie I saw this year that I didn't give a rating to on Letterbox because I'm just like. I, I don't really know what I think of it. I I know I I know it's good. Yeah. And I know I know all those performances fucking whip. Yeah. And the first time I saw it, I was like, not entirely sure what just happened. You know, yeah. I I got to a point where I thought I understood what what was happening, and it was like, 
Okay, so this is this is kind of like all happening inside of inside of Jesse Buckley's mind, and she's like she she, she she's like imagining this all like horror of like meeting her boyfriend's parents and like blah blah blah, and being immediately like, no, this is not happening in her mind at all. <laughs> the thing that's happening in her mind is happening in someone else's mind. Yeah, and she's like, oh, okay. I'm thinking of ending things as a film about manic pixie dream girls, yeah. but uh, the lead character is a manic pixie dream girl who, over the film, realizes first that she is manic second that she is a pixie and then that she is a dream right yeah um and and i yeah i like i understand the arguments against charlie kaufman (laughs) um and and i think they are all valid and correct but i'm in the terrible position of being almost precisely his target market um and that the first time i saw senendaki new york senendaki gets Synecdoche, yeah, mm. it's named after Schenectady. It's, na- it's named after it's named after Schene- yeah, and also Synecdoche. Uh, good one, Charlie. Yeah, uh, which was uh, alone on New Year's Day, <laughs> on New Year's Eve, uh, I watched the J.J. Abrams Star Trek and 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 Synecdoche for the first time i was the perfect mood to see it and i was working as a theater director at the time and it was like looking right into me and then i saw anomalisa alone while traveling like a while into a relationship and it was the perfect time to see it and then suddenly everyone was trapped inside inside their minds desperately close desperately afraid with no sense of time and I saw I'm thinking of ending things, uh, uh, not quite sure what was real mm. anymore. And it, it's just like I, I, I was, I, it was very interesting to me that it was adapted from a book because it feels incredibly cinematic. Yeah. And I am now uh, reading the book and I'm like, like how, how, how do you do a dream ballet in words? <laughs> I'm not up to that bit yeah. yet. Um, uh, but uh, 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 reading the book, you're like, how did they ever think this was a film? Uh, and they don't change much mm. in either direction. But uh, uh, I think, and like so much, like the first 15 minutes to half an hour yeah. of, is one conversation in a car. Yeah. Uh, and that should be deadly, but it's enthralling. Later, they talk for 15 more minutes in the car and 10 minutes of that <laughs> is talking about a Pauline Kale film review. Yeah. And then another like seven minutes of them trying to buy ice cream. And it's, I, yeah, I kind of, I, I am aware that everything I have just said also means it's bad, <laughs> but like I'm a pseudo intellectual middle-class white man who thinks he understands existence. So I love, I think I'm thinking of ending things. Shit, man. Yeah. It's, it's real good. And it's an Academy ratio. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, but it, it, Shirley is also like, like Shirley is a collection of good performances that I just don't think is quite a film yet. Yeah, but am I excited to see what well, I cannot remember the director's yeah, name? Uh, her name is Josephine Decker. Yeah, I cannot wait to see what she makes next. I cannot wait to see what Sarah Gubbins writes next. Like, yeah, it's it's not bad, but it's I'm thinking of it. What are you doing? Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! What? No, 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 dab. You 
which means that we have our quarterfinals, our quarterfinals, quarterfinal number one, small axe versus the small axe assistant. <laughs> Quarterfinal number two, the first of cow, deep cow, and the forest of love, deep cow. <laughs> Quarterfinal number three, the look of metal and the insoundable man. <laughs> and then, oh man, <laughs> my two favorite films from the year, Tenant versus I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> And so that's the first half of the first annual Shite and Shown, a Shite and Showdown for the Crown 2020 mm. Deep, Deep Cut. Cut and the fantabulous emancipation <laughs> of one Harley Quinn. Where can people find you, Finn? You can find the show on Twitter at Shite Sound Pod and you can email us at shitesoundpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, a little box, do I not? Uh, Youth Lives, sign up to my newsletter bit.ly slash Youth Lives. Uh, check out our website at shitesound.com, uh, unless you just said that. I didn't. Uh, you said it. Oh, great. Congratulations. Yeah, good uh, job. I'm not living in a bizarre echo land. <laughs> our theme song by Kazam Blam. It's and, called The Nux. Yeah, check out the album Trapezoids Away. It's on Bandcamp. Man, movies are good. Even bad ones. Go watch them.